donks. Look at us now, tip to tip. This is our life. This is our passion. That's the spirit we bring to this show. I'm Luke Thomas. I'm Brian Campbell. This is Morning Combat. Oh, yeah, get at it. Monday, Monday, but not just another Manic Monday. This one is a big one. Long in the tooth this weekend in combat sports. Morning Combat has your back to break it all down right about now. You're looking at the Funk Soul brother himself, BC, the beige one, Brian Campbell. No Luke Thomas again today on the flight back from vacation. You deal with him in that regard, all right? You know, I don't need him right now because I got this guy next to me. A former world champion, a Hall of Famer, always sweet, never sour, a tower of ayahuasca power, fresh off the jet himself from Salt Lake, it is Sugar Rashad Evans. What's going on, BC? Good to be back on Morning Combat, my brother. Great to have you back as well. Obviously, I got much love for Luke Thomas, so don't be starting no conspiracies. It's Monday, August 22nd. The kick heard round the damn world from Leon Edwards. You know we're going to break that down. Usyk Joshua 2, Bare Knuckle Bonanza, so Showtime. By, I mean, what a time to be alive in the fight game. We're happy to be here with you folks. Uh, wow. Uh, Rashad, how do you even, like, I mean, I watched most of these events live and covered them, and I still need to spend all of last night and this morning catching up on the rest. Do you ever remember a Saturday this crazy in the combat game? Nah, it's been a long time, man. I, it took some time for me to catch up on everything, too. I mean, I was at the UFC and then had to catch up on the boxing. But, I mean, it, you can't ask for a better weekend than to have nothing but combat sports. Nothing but knockouts all the way. I mean, what a wild event. Uh, Showtime, CBS Sports, Malka, the labels that pay and provide us. They have our back today. Mikey Morm's in here. Gaff, Corey Manich back on the ones and twos. Long Island Luke, you can stream Showtime right now for things like championship boxing, Bellator. 30 days free. Why not take the plunge? Go to Showtime.com. Support the people who support us. Uh, how about this merch? Uh, hopefully soon we'll be getting Rashad outfitted in the kind of merch he can walk around South Florida and like maybe... Those boxers where Luke and I are both pointing at the anus. I would like to see Rashad out on the beach in that. Uh, you can head and check out our new merch that's available right now on morningcombat.store. Bomber jacket season is here, so get ready for the fall. You're going to want to look cool when you're at your son's soccer game this fall. All right? Okay? These are the circles us old pieces of shit running. Uh, what, what do you have to sell? Anything else? You know I love AG1. Shout out to those folks. Um, I think that's about it. I think people want us, Rashad, to hit it. And they want us to hit it hard. So why don't we do that? Why don't we turn ourselves in the direction of the fights? And it went down Saturday. Rashad was in the building, very interested to get his take. UFC 278, Salt Lake City, Utah. What the hell am I even going to do to start this off on topic one? The Rocky story became real right in front of our eyes as Leon Edwards down on the scorecards in round five being told to the world <laughs> through the vehicle of the UFC broadcast that uh, his his obituary was written. His time was up. Only nobody told Rocky. A high kick that was set up beautifully, suckered in the champion, Kamaru Usman. And here we are with the fallout. And Rashad, I mean, this could not be more shocking when you consider Kamara as the pound-for-pound pound king, unbeaten in the cage, all we're talking about is these GOAT theories. We got Hamza in the bullpen. Is is Usman going to move up to light heavyweight? Is he going to tie Anderson Silva's record for consecutive win streak? He's not. He won't. And I know you're a longtime friend of Kamara when you were there in support of him. 
Give us the inside reaction on what the heck that was like. Maybe, maybe the most improbable comeback in modern title level MMA history. Well, I mean, you know, the fight was shaping up the way that we imagined it would. You know, Kamaru made it out of the first round. And, uh, you know, he had a little bit of difficulties in the first round, something that he really didn't expect, but he made it through. And it seemed like he was getting stronger every single round, progressing after that. You know, he was getting his wrestling and the pace going. And then he started letting go his hands, some heavy bombs and body shots, too. And it looked like it was affecting Leon. And it just kind of took a lot out of Leon. And you just seen Leon just fading and fading as the fight went on. So when that fifth round came about, it was just more of watch and repeat of the same. But in the beginning of the fifth round, I seen that. You know, Leon stuck a uh, a front kick and, and, and Usman like right out the gate. And I thought it kind of bothered him and it kind of put him on just like a different pace level. And, you know, he wasn't pressing the action. And I knew at that point, I'm like, OK, he's got to get back pushing the action. Got to get back pressing him because he was playing a little bit too much defense and letting Leon get off. And uh, Leon set up that perfect one two uh, high kick. And, you know, Usman went right into it. But just being there was was. Uh, what was unbelievable because, you know, I'm, I'm sitting right next to his family and his daughter's right next to me. And, you know, when when that whole thing happens, you know, you just hear like this scream and, you know, it, it was just kind of like very traumatic. You know, for me, being like a brother to Kamaru, just watching him go down like that, man. And um, it just it just made me real sick because, you know, I I, I didn't think he was going to lose, but sometimes you, you have... Like when your friend, your family's fighting, you have a feeling, like an uneasy feeling. And I had an uneasy feeling and I couldn't shake. And, uh, you know, when that kick happened, it was like those worst feelings, those worst things, those worst thoughts were just realized in an instant. It was it was devastating, BC. It, it brought out every single emotion. If you were inspired by Rocky yeah. Edwards, it was the ultimate you know, look at me now. Or as he, you know, as he said, what, what, what was the, the phrase? Do you remember that he said in the post-fight interview that he kept uh, repeating? No, I don't, I don't remember what he said, man. I was, I was still in shock at that point. <laughs> uh, look at me now, was it? Thank thank you, Mikey Morms. I mean, you can put that on T-shirts now, as John Anik mentioned. So from that point of view, this is the ultimate inspiring, apply it to your life moment of, you know, you're never counted out unless you count yourself out. I can get down with that. But for all of us who were probably already forming the lead of our recap, you know, at this point in the middle of the fifth round, or if you're Team Usman, it's the ultimate heartbreak. This is definitely the type of shocking result that, you know, births new fans, that reminds you how dangerous the sport is, how there are so many ways to lose in this game, how unpredictable it can be, how, as Luke Thomas would say, we could think we know all we know about these guys but whether it's, you know, male versus male or female versus female, it's two humans that are going in there touching gloves. Anything can happen. I'm, I'm speechless, Rashad, as I think we all should be. How do you, how, I, I want to ask you, how, the, how did this happen? Now, you mentioned sort of some things you saw and maybe that uneasy feeling of watching a friend in Usman sort of navigate this fifth round with a big lead. But we didn't see this type of life out of Edwards in rounds two, three, and four. In fact, this fight was sort of playing into that almost cranky prediction I made of what, look, this is going to end up being a one-sided Usman fight. And it's not going to be that fun to watch. That was all becoming true right there. So did did Edwards, do you think, in hindsight, you know, come back to life from the the plot, the, the pleading of his corner? And they were an A-plus level job on getting in his grill and trying to motivate him. Or was this really 
the perfect shot at the perfect time. Now, it wasn't a lucky punch. It wasn't a wild helicopter blow. It was a, a savage setup of the perfect strike at the perfect time. But we didn't see the body language in Leon leading up to that to lead you to believe this was even possible. Is this more fluke or is this just precision perfection in the moment from Leon Edwards? Yeah, I believe, you know, I'm not even going to say it's fluke because, you know, to, to make it through that grind and when you get in your face grinding and you got a guy on and you can't get him off you and he, you know, he's on you like clothes and there's nothing you can do from that suffocating pressure and he's just beating you all about the face and head. There's a minute in there where you just want to give up. There's a minute in there where you just say, you know what, it's not my night and you just concede to the fact that you lost a fight. But Leon didn't do that. And sometimes as a guy in there imposing your will on a fighter, you can kind of sense when a guy's breaking, you can feel that energy just go. And sometimes my favorite part of the fight was watching my enemy, just the fight leave his eyes. And I'm sure Usman may have felt that, but Leon didn't give up on himself. And that was the thing that, that really made the fifth round what it was. You know, the corner inspired him to go out there and, and just kind of keep fighting. And, uh, you know, Leon set that 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 kick up from the beginning of the first round, you know, from from the fifth round, uh, just you know throwing that one two and just you know uh, clocking Usman's uh, his 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 defense and you know once Usman was clocked, it was just you know not not having that suffocating pressure made it easier for uh, Leon Edwards to land that kick because before that Usman wasn't giving him a lot of space, you know, and and there was no room for leg kicks because he was moving in after he seen the hand. So um, just got caught on the defense a little too long. And I felt as if like it was a moment where Usman was just trying to rest and recover because pushing a pace like that is extremely difficult. So you need your pauses in there. And sometimes your pauses may look like activity, but you're just standing around just kind of waiting to see what your opponent does and you may get caught and Usman did. Rashad, does the, the MMA world on varying levels owe Leon Edwards an apology for the how dismissive we've been? I mean, I got DMs up the a-hole going, BC, your hatred of UK fighters knows no bounds and limits. Finally, you have to eat some crow, which is certainly not the accurate way to, to this, you know, describe this. But, like, we didn't really – I mean, I didn't give Leon this level of a shot, a chance that this moment was going to happen. I felt for him to win this a lot was going to have to go his way. Um, I'm nothing but inspired and respectful of what he did. In fact, it's self-applicable. I can look in the mirror this morning and say, yeah, Rocky just did that shit, okay? So maybe I can get back on the Peloton. But my original point, this was a y'all must have forgot, look at me now. You know, this was that type of moment. I, if, if it demands it, I'm willing to say I was wrong. I'm sorry. This guy is the goods. Nah, you know what, man? I, I think that having the doubt and coming into this fight, people not believing is the thing that kind of propels you when you're in an underdog situation. So, you know what? When I used to go into fights and feel as if like everybody was against me, it would propel me. It would give me a little bit more to fight for when I was out. You know, when I was fighting Forrest Griffin and he had me against the, uh, the cage and he was hitting me with all kinds of combinations and I hear the crowd just yelling and screaming. Then I went to my padded oh, you know, kiss my hand, pull my balls. And I said, you know, that's my, you know, suck my thing. And, and, I, and I slapped him with a punch. You wow. know, but that's that was the mindset. That was the attitude. And it was it, I was reminded of at that moment when I was, you know, getting pounded that, you know what, I'm not going to give up. And, uh, you know, going into a fight like that with Leon um, and, and Leon feels he, he was an underdog and people not giving him respect. That's exactly what you want. You want to be able to disarm your opponent and everybody in general from thinking you can win, because at the end of the day, 
it's only about you and your opponent in the cage. And if you believe in yourself, that's all you need. Uh, this fight had the sh the shocking of shockingest endings. It's getting rightful comparisons to the fifth round of, of Sun and Silva 1, although different ending, different circumstances. It's it's among, I mean, it's just among the more, some of the most dramatic shit we've ever seen. But first round, as you teased earlier, also gave us some of that with Kamaru Usman getting taken down for the first time in his, uh, I believe, his MMA career. Certainly his 15-fight yeah. uh, UFC run heading into that. You got to give the, the, the former champ now credit for the adjustments he made after that. He wasn't overly frustrated, even with Edwards in full mount to close round one. He got back to business until the moment in round five. But Rashad, we don't have many fights to compare this to in the, the grand scope of the drama, how unlikely it was, and for Usman, how insanely devastating it was. You were in the crowd near the family. You were backstage with everybody afterwards. You probably had some intimate moments with the former champ, and, and I respect what you can and can't share. How devastating, though, do you expect this loss to be for somebody who, again, was pound for pound king and we were outfitting him the crown and robe and giving him the key to the upper room of the greatest of all time before this? You know, when I see him go when, when go down on the campus like uh, canvas like that, I didn't really um, know how he would be once he came to and once he was able to gather his thoughts around the magnitude of everything that just happened. But um, I was I was really surprised to, to see him and talk to him. You know, uh, right afterwards, I talked to him right away. He seemed to be pretty clear-headed, but he still was kind of foggy. And he, you know, he kind of you know, he kept his head up and was, you know, saying some positive things. But it was the next day, the next day when we flew out and went back to Florida and I spoke to him, you know, just uh, seeing him, you know, he, he came, you know, I asked him how he was doing. He said, you know, um, I feel very blessed. And it was something that kind of, kind of took me by surprise because I didn't expect those words to come out of his mouth. But he said, I feel very blessed because... You know, um, it, it didn't go my way last night and, and it was a very, you know, it, it was, you know, fucked up thing that happened. He said, but um, I'm glad and, and I feel blessed that I get an opportunity to show everybody once again how great I am. And I, and I get the, to show my response. daughter. Yeah. And he said, and I, and I get to show my daughter what it means to to fall down and, and have everything not go your way, but then still get up and keep on going. So, yeah. That that right there, when he said that to me, it gave me chills because that's a perspective that that you take once you have accepted it. And as and as a fighter, when you lose a fight, there's a there's so many things that you can blame, and uh, you know so many things that you can blame. And sometimes you don't blame yourself. Sometimes you don't put the the accountability where it should be. But to own it and to really not shy away from what happened. To, to really want to just say, you know what, I'm going to confront these issues. I'm going to confront this feeling and I'm not going to allow myself to just allow this feeling of feeling naked and stripped to sneak up on me because that's what happens sometimes. You feel naked. You feel like, dang, I can't believe I lost a fight and you feel vulnerable. And if you let that feeling creep up on you without even mentally addressing it, then you're going to be in for a, a rude awakening. But um, he's on top of it and I feel like he has planted the seeds for a, a big return. Absolutely. Uh, I love the, the, you know, the tweets or IG posts he had afterwards. He gave respect. He, he had perspective. Uh, we did see the post-fight uh, press conference. I believe he interrupted Dana White's interview by, you know, calling him and, and, you know, essentially urging on the boss that, you know, he'll be back. He'll be okay. Look, he's going to potentially, and we could talk about it in a second, but get a chance at turning this into a Matt Sarah GSP moment. And as much as we love glossy records, that big O, which Usman had at least in the UFC, 
you become a legend even even larger in some cases when you face this type of legitimate adversity and then you get up and come back. It's why Randy Couture with all those losses and broken title reigns is so beloved as Cap, beloved as Captain America for that same reason. We love the comeback. He'll have that opportunity. And like we said, like, you know, show me show me a great champion in, in the moment of his worst defeat. And a lot of times that'll tell you where he's headed from here and what will happen next. And we'll see if Usman gets that opportunity. But before we talk about what's next, man, I mean, how do you sort of frame for Rocky Edwards what this does for his, you know, reputation, legacy, career in the moment? Because Rashad, everything had gone against him in terms of like bad luck and public perception for the last few years, the injuries, the, the no contest, the fact that everyone just dismissed his marketability and whether he should get a shot. And then look at him now, in his own words. I mean, this the Nate Diaz fight the last time, the reverse almost happened to him. And, you know, in our own cynical, critical way, a lot of us took away from what was a a thorough sizzling performance from Edwards against Diaz because it, he almost gave it away at the end. Now he completely flips the script, and like Luke Rockhold, who we're going to talk about in a second, he comes out of there like the ultimate underdog babyface. Like, this gives a big boom, and I think a deserved close-up to who he really is. Okay, not the trash talker, not this, not that, but an elite fighter who now just gave you a legitimate freaking Rocky Balboa moment, and it just happens to be his nickname and persona to boot. I mean, it couldn't have happened to a better guy, right? Yeah, I know. Leon's a great guy, man. He's a really good guy and uh, one hell of a competitor. You know, you know, it, it, it takes moments like this, though, like beating someone at the level of Usman to, to be on the scene for people to say, oh, wow, OK, you are something. And, and people can, can really start to see what your value is. For me, it was my Chuck Liddell moment. After that moment, you know, it, it was great to get the knockout. But what it did for me as a fighter was, was was on another level. I grew up as a fighter that night because of everything that I was going through going into the fight, being the underdog, you know, having the, the media talk to me as if like I didn't even deserve the chance of being in a cage with Chuck Liddell. Those are the kind of things that stick with me. And when I made it through that fight, I knew I could make it through any fight. And, and whenever I found myself in a position in fights past, you know, after the Liddell fight, I would tap back into that moment and just remember my mindset. Just remember the way I carried myself during that moment, because that was the moment where I really just grabbed my balls and said, you know what? We riding out and whatever happens, happens. And sometimes you got to do that. And Leon did that. Um, I want to circle back real quickly once more to the, to the work of his corner. I mean, there's there are these montages that are out there of of after each round, what was said, and, and particularly after that fourth round, and it's like you know we can spin that knife back on the coaches when it's Rocky Pennington's coach before round five against Amanda Nunes when she asks out, trying to push her back in there, and and you know you it's it can be a father son relationship, it can be a thing where you know the right buttons to push. Even as those buttons were getting pressed in the moment, I remember thinking, oh, that's really inspirational shit. But, like, is he going to go use that? Is that even his style to furiously rally back? It's not necessarily. But the combination of the the never-say-die backbone of these coaches, obviously mixed with Edwards, even though it looked like it. I don't, I don't want to say it looked like he was counting himself out, but as much in hindsight as we can clown DC and Rogan for, again, writing that obituary, and shout-out to John Anik for stepping in and now in a famous moment and saying, hold on, guys, Edwards is not of that ilk, which turned out to be true. But 
it did take Edwards not counting himself out and that coaching staff knowing him and urging him on. I mean, Rashad, have you had that moment at the highest level before, whether it's with Jackson Wink or, or Coach Whitman, where you needed that? You actually needed that exchange to happen to go out there and raise yourself. Yeah, absolutely. When I fought Forrest Griffin, I was getting my butt kicked for the first two rounds. Just, just Forrest was handed it to me, you know, catching me with everything. And I go back to the corner and Mike Winklejohn was like, dude, what the hell are you doing? Like, this is your title shot. This is your chance. You got to get you got to get after it. Wake up. It's time to go. You got to go. And then he started just like to just, you know, scream at me and, and just really wake me up out of the, the the funk, you know, the cloud that I was in and just watching and observing my, myself get my own ass whooped, you know. And, and once he woke me up, I, I was kind of pissed off to the point where I was like, you know what? I'm not going back to the corner and have him yell at me again. I'm going to go and do something this round. So that third round, I came out and I was ready. I I was looking to counter and as soon as he threw something I was on it right away and then I ended up went finishing the fight but it was the corner work that really got me to just get off my ass and get out of my head and just you know turn and turn the fight on legend some legendary stuff from Edwards's corner to just uh do exactly what you you described was done to you I couldn't be more in awe of how it all came together it was a movie I mean everyone's trying to say everything they do is a movie these days for the gram right but this was a freaking movie nah, so was a movie <laughs> let's talk sequels here Rashad because you know in the post fight show for morning combat Saturday night my knee-jerk reaction given again that Usman had five consecutive title defenses he was you know Dana already calling him the greatest welterweight of all time which you know I mean GSP is still alive last time I checked, but you know, you get my point. Like the, the like where Usman was. And I think a champion that decorated, and especially with an ending that was this sort of, you know, holy shit, when he had yeah. been largely controlling that fight, if anyone deserves it, it's Usman right now. I want you to know what you believe, what you think, or I want you to tell me what you think should happen next and what you think will when you consider the options of an immediate trilogy, potentially in England, to take advantage of the hotbed audience there, or two other options you see shooting out left and right. Maybe Hamza Chemaev, if he gets past Nate Diaz in a quick matter, getting right into a title shot, or maybe one Jorge Masvidal? I mean, I don't love that idea, Rashad. What should happen, what will happen next for the welterweight title? Well, I think Kamaru definitely should get an immediate rematch, but... You know, for, for the timing of the immediate rematch is, is my biggest concern. I will want Kamaru to take off at least to the spring in order to allow himself to just to kind of, you know, let this settle in. But not only that, allow his body to heal. And not only that, you know, kind of build up some of that neurological strength that, that, that needs to happen after you had a knockout that devastating. You know, Usman was out for a while. And uh, when you take a big concussive blow like that, it's really important to do the proper rehab to be able to get your beard, uh, your chin, so you're able to take shots and take more punishment. Because if you don't have a good way of resetting your neurological system, then the next time you take even a small blow, your body remembers that and it shuts down. So if I was Usman, I'll wait at least until till, till the spring to do the fight. Now that leaves a gap in between time because if Diaz and, and uh, Hamzat, they fight in September and it, you know it's a quick fight, then Hamza is going to be ready to go for December and, and or, or November, November, December. And that will put Leon in position to be ready for the same time. So 
I could see something like the UFC shooing him, uh, Hamza in a position to fight Leon Edwards as well to kind of wait for uh, Usman to kind of heal up and get ready to to get a to get a shot. But um, you know, it all depends on how how well Hamza looks in his fight. You know, with, with Diaz, if it's something that he goes out there and he looks absolutely you know scary like he's been looking in the past, then yeah, I can see him you know moving in for a November December fight. But um, I, I do think that. It should be an immediate rematch for Usman, but for me, it's the timing that he needs to take off that might push that yeah. back. He has been, though, uh, I don't want to say a company man. I think he became a company man through his willingness to fight whoever, whenever, and, you know, he's always been consistent. That's why I didn't think there'd be a trap element with this fight, despite what turned out to be this ending. Um, there is that that discussion. You, if, if UFC can get a date in the UK and can make this be a big thing. And they call Usman, I, I, knowing what I know of him, you know him better than me, but I would think he's going to take that challenge and take that opportunity. But I think you're right. That was a devastating knockout. Like we can't, like the, yeah. the pictures are floating around of him with the eyes wide open, but you know, nothing's going on in there. I mean, that, that, that was, that was bad news. Um, I saw Jorge Masvidal tweet, I guess we're going to England. I mean, I would get it, but I'd be like forty-six-year-old Dan Henderson against Bisping level upset if if uh, if Jorge was rolled back into a title shot in this situation. You know, if he had never gotten the second one against Usman, you'd be like, okay, business is business. There's a storyline, but what are we doing here? We can't do that. But what about if Nate pulls an upset? I mean, there's some things that can happen here there, that are wild. You know? Yeah, there there are a lot of things that can still happen here. You know, and I'm not totally convinced that Nate. It is a, it's a foregone conclusion between Nate and Hamza. I feel like, you know, Nate is one of those guys who, when he's tested like this and people feel as if like he don't have a chance, that's when you get the Nate Diaz that you really didn't expect and show that he still has a lot of tread left on his tires. You know, one of the biggest things I can say about Nate Diaz is the fact that, you know, he still does have a lot of skill left, but just the inactivity has affected him. So if he can just get around that aspect of it, as far as, you know, implementing some training that kind of mimics what he's going to be doing, you know, or get some good looks and he could be able to go in there and have a great fight. It could change a lot of things. But for for a guy like Leon, who, who's relatively still unknown outside of that big moment that he had, if you're the UFC, you have a big opportunity to, to really grow him and really grow the market in London once again. So having him fight Usman again in London probably would be the most lucrative thing and the most blockbuster thing they can yeah. do as far as pay-per-view is concerned. So I think that that would be the smartest move. But there's a lot of commotion that, you know, losing a belt in the weight class has caused. And, you know, it's kind of revitalized a lot of belief and hope in fighters. So the the 170-pound uh, weight class is going to get very interesting again. Colby still lingering as well. There was some crazy online videos of his reaction, draw dropped. I mean, everyone's sharing their online reaction video, whether it's Joe Rogan at the desk. I don't know if you saw this. Um, people are, are accusing Henry Cejudo of uh, jinxing. Uh, Usman, because there was video right before the, the start of round five in the crowd when Cejudo taps Ali El Abdelaziz on the shoulder and it's like easy money. I mean, you know, people yeah. will try to connect things to curses. If we have to blame Triple Cringe, we have to blame him, Rashad. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, look, I mean, it's, you, you, you want to blame somebody because it's just so unbelievable what happened. You just don't expect nothing like that to ever happen, especially when... Usman was just doing doing what he, he was just doing so so well. So I mean, I, my my heart goes out to him. But you know, one thing that 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 I have you know I stick by is you got to take you know uh, the bitter with the glitter. You know, you got to yeah. take it. You got you got to be able to 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 take it all because 
at the end of the day, no matter what the results are, this is why we do it. This is why we fight. And this is what makes it, you know, be what it is when you're a fighter. You got to go out there and you feel that adrenaline and you're riding that emotional roller coaster. This is why you feel that because, you know, at one moment you can be the hammer and then the next moment you can be the nail. And, and, and to know where, which one you're going to be, that's the fun. I mean, I had I had some MK viewers DM me and show me their betting slips of uh, of uh, you know lock tight parlays they had that involved an Usman victory that would have you know netted them you know six digits. I mean, netted them some legitimate cashola that fell to the wayside with that kick heard around the world. But that's the that's the crazy game we're in. And and you know, finally, I'll circle back to it. Uh, you know. I, we were wrong, man. I mean, I remember Tom Aspinall going down with that injury. We're like, so, so much for the UK title hopes right now. People are like, well, don't, Leon's also going to get a fight. And we're like, yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, look, I got to <laughs> take all that back and say, you know, sometimes BC don't know shit, you know? I mean, uh, yeah, I did predict Nganu was going to wrestle against Gan. Okay. I predicted Usman would get a fourth round submission. And people were like, BC, man, you you are just the casual of casuals. Dude, you remember the end of the third round when he was, you know, nearly putting in the choke on a yeah. lifeless Edwards? It looking like it's going one way. It went the other way. Shout out to Rocky. What a freaking story. What a night. We'll never forget. Topic number two on this Monday, though. We're going to hit up the rest of the big headlines from UFC 278. And as wild as this main event finish was... <laughs> It had to be helped by the momentum from that wild-ass co-main. I, I, I don't, like, there's just not ways to describe what the hell we watched. Luke Rockhold, who's now retired, the former middleweight champion, went out in a blaze of glory against Paulo Costa that I can only compare to, like, Kevin Costner's character in the 90s movie Tin Cup, where it's like, no, he didn't win. But he won. He won in many different ways. Rockhold always respected in the skill set. But people love to hate this guy, right? For a lot of reasons. He comes out of here, I mean, just beloved for the insane amount of heart, blood, sweat, and tears he showed. Rashad, I have never seen a fighter that exhausted after a single round. In round two, he's bending over in the middle of the fight with his hands on his knees. And to see somebody so dangerously desperately and recklessly dialing up loaded strikes and then landing them in particularly round three, which is among the most batshit five minutes of theater you could ever cook up for elite level MMA. Costa takes home the decision. It was deserved, but this was almost the, the wackiest ending we ever could have cooked up until the main event of Usman Edwards too. Uh, when you look at this, even though he lost, Rockhold kind of wins this, right, Rashad? It, it, this is going out, I don't want to say on top, but all we're talking about now is the balls of Luke Rockhold. I didn't think he had it in him, Rashad. I really didn't. You know, when Luke Rockhold came out, he came out to a song, Immortal Technique, The Point of No Return. And that song stuck out to me because that's the same song I came out to when I fought Chuck Liddell. Mm -hmm. So I knew what his mindset was when he came out. I knew he was on the mindset of he's he he burned the boats. And I'm not sure if everybody knows what burn the boats mean or what it kind of yeah. alludes to, but you know, there there is this army general and he brought his uh his 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 people, they came in boats and they were gonna uh, go to war and when they got there they learned that they were outnumbered. 
So when they were sleeping, they got out, they were all sleeping on shore and the army captain had someone burn all the boats. So there was no going back. So they had to fight. Yeah, that's so, from Art of, I looked it up real quick. It's from Art of War with, with uh, Sun Tzu. Yes, yes. So he burned the boats. And, and sometimes you got to burn the boats because there is no going back. There is no going back. Your life is forever going to be changed after this moment. And for him to go out there and, and to say, you know what, no matter what happens, I'm going out on my shield. It, it takes it takes a lot of balls because a lot of times when you're out of there, when you're out there and you have that intent and you get in your face beat in, you start thinking like, yeah, Yo, you know what? Let me just stop because I'm going to quit and retire anyways. But I knew at weigh in when I talked to Luke Rockhold, he was just burning up like he was just he was super geeked, almost as if like he was just on something. But that was just him riding at adrenaline. Like if you've seen him at the weigh-ins, like he was pacing back and forth. He was like salivating at the mouth and he was talking in tongues like I'm going to kill this dude. You know, so you knew that something was different about Luke. But I kind of felt like something was different about Luke going into this fight all along, just listening to his interviews like he was just raw the whole week. Yeah. Yeah, he was slinging trash talk at Costa, even to levels where it was like abrasive, you know, and and fighter pay, honest sort of download that he did that had Dana against him. My favorite part of this fight in many ways, and we'll get into have you seen the shit shortly, we'll be able to look at some of these crazy moments. But Dana's post-fight press conference after when he was like, look, we had our ups and downs this week, but... I'm never going to say another bad word again about Luke Rockhold after this. It was almost like Dana giving him carte blanche for the rest of his life because that's, you know, that's the quickest way to Dana's heart, this type of nomadic, barbaric performance. But what Dana said in particular, he was like, people like us, and this is Dana finally aligning himself with the scumbag MMA media and saying, we have no idea what those two men had to do to make that fight happen and to finish that fight. Rashad, I, again, I've never seen a fighter as exhausted after one round who went on to have moments in the fight like Rockhold did. How would you describe how deep he actually did dig within himself to pour that out? Because he's known for, in the second half of his career, great fighter, but if you clock him clean, the fight's going to be over. And this went past stamina, iron will, I mean, he was dealing with, I mean, he was he was taking one of those scoopers inside the protein pack and just going deep. It, Rashad, hold on, I don't even know if this is legal. I mean, just going deep and pouring that shit out on top of Costa. I mean, dude, like, that's like, they got me pinned down. My family's about to die. And I, the only way I can I can get there is by get you know, is by crawling on my stomach after the plane crash to get to the I mean, this is some of the most insane, manly, courageous shit I've ever seen. I didn't think it was physically possible, Rashad. How did he do that? You know what? I, I didn't either, especially Luke. You know, Luke is kind of a pretty boy. And, uh, you know, knowing Luke outside of fighting, you wouldn't think that, you know, the balls that he had, he would just go out there and, and, and fight like that. But, you know, it, it was truly um, him saying goodbye to the sport. And he was trying to say the goodbye to the sport on his terms. So, he was willing there to go in there and, and, and fight to 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 death until he had really nothing left to give. And I mean, I I, I don't want to make it seem like, you know, he, he was, you know, kind of suicidal. But at the same time, his mindset was going to the place where it's like, you know what, I don't care how I come out after this. And when you go that deep, you have to not care. You have yeah. to not care, you know, if 
if you're going to have a scar that, you know, that stays on your face for the rest of your night. At this at that moment, you're living in a moment so much that nothing exists outside of that moment. And you can tell Luke was in that presence of mind where nothing exists outside of that moment, because even when, you know, he was down and out and getting his butt kicked, he had thrown an overhand right and be like, what? What? And, and just and like hearing him just like talk shit the whole time and, and, and getting pounded was just like this dude. Like if you're Costa, you got to be like, dude, what do I got to do to get you out of here? Because he just he just kept hanging on. It's, it's, it's incredible. And I'm glad he was able to give that moment. Forget us in our entertainment level or forget Dana White for himself because he's had injuries. He's had doubt. I mean, didn't he almost have leg amputation? I mean, he's had like some some shit. And he's had also spectacular losses in moments where we thought he might be back and, and try and afford something. So to see him have that moment, but then to retire on his own terms and just be like, fuck, I'm too old for this. I mean, we all can relate to that. It was great. It was great. Oh, my God. I mean, and then, like, he's not known for that. So you you can't overemphasize how dangerous that third round could have been for him, not just, you know, the, how close he was to pure exhaustion, but when you're fighting that recklessly, you could just get caught with the type of... I mean, you can just get caught with the type that you don't recover. Like, you know, you don't, you don't mentally, physically yeah. recover from. He got through it. So when we flip the script to Paulo Costa, who, again, it was the oddest 30 to 27 across the board fight you ever saw. Do we take anything away from Costa and how much he was getting lit up with those, you know, wounded animal strikes from Rockhold? Or was it so batshit crazy that, you know, survived by any means necessary? No, I don't take anything away from Costa for that because it was a fight. And 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 by that I mean this. Like when you fight versus, you know, uh versus, you know, how it typically plays out, like in a fight, you fight with more emotion. You know, when when you're when you're not fighting, you you it's more of a technical aspect of it, you know, and you and you and it's all about the X's and O's. But when you're fighting, it's like I'ma throw a hit and you hit me with that shot. And that shot hurt and it pissed me off. And without even trying to be calculated, I'm just going to hurl something back. We fighting right there. You know, almost technique goes out of the window when it's a fight. And that's where that's where the vulnerability comes in. That's where you can take a fighter who's a better fighter and make him a less of a fighter because he's fighting with that emotion. And I've seen Casa fight with that emotion. And, and that's a that's a dangerous place to fight from because that's where you get exhausted. That's where you are less calculated. And that's where you can get caught. But fighting at that emotional level it, it really makes fans like drawn to you because they can see the heart that you're putting into it and you kind of bear your soul when you put your when you just go out there and you fight like that and look to be very fair there are a lot of people who believe that that art form of of the emotional fight is lost at the highest professional level in mma today and you hear like you don't hear it as much because the ufc has gotten to such a level that it's so mainstream that there's so much attention on it. But Luke Thomas always says it right. I mean, there are like that generation of hardcore fans in the mid to late early, you know, 2000, the aughts, 2005 to 2010, that run. A lot of those fans are no longer MMA fans and they were as diehard as ever back then. And I think when you go back and watch those fights, those fights, even though you're seeing the evolution of skill in, in front of your eyes, they're still fights. Even right. the guys who are the skill technicians still have to fight through this emotional barrage of craziness that has been homogenized now that everyone is a complete well-rounded mixed martial artist. And, you know, everyone's technical that when we get Nate Landwehr against Oma Onama in that wild third round, when we get moments like this, 
it is a reminder of, uh, for a lot of us, especially us older fans, the reason why we got into this in the first place. And it's not just, you know, a lust for violence or a love for, for combat style versus combat style. It's that what I'm seeing on the screen reminds me of like fights I've seen in the schoolyard or in the bar. You know what I mean? Like that, that whole type of just like emotion coming in. This had that some of Paulo Costa's biggest fights have had that, but do you believe Costa's fully back? Meaning the, the same fighter who, who, who built that road to the title opportunity against Adesanya. Yeah. He's still going to be wild. And he's an offensive force, but I think this week I saw him get back in the shape he needed and even mentally, Rashad, he was taking all the things people say bad about him and making jokes about it. He had the bottle of the secret sauce and secret juice, whatever it was. Like, I saw a different Costa, and I kind of liked it. Do you think that's good enough to put him back now into this title mix and believe he can make another run? I believe so, you know, because he fought with that emotion. And when you fight with that emotion, it makes you tired. And Costa's biggest thing and one of my biggest knock on Costa was the fact that he gasses and you can gas him out. And all you have to do is weather the early storm, but then you have the, a different Costa the second and third round. But, uh, you know, he, he shattered that. You know, I think that he he fought really well. He, you know, he fought, you know, economically when he needs to at times. He sprinted when he needs to at times. But either whether he was sprinting or he was fighting economically, he wasn't overly gassed afterwards. And, you know, my favorite moment was, was after the fight was over and he was doing an interview and he made a comment. And then and then he had a, he said a phrase and then the, the crowd said the phrase back to him. And in that in that moment, it showed me that the fans get him. And, and he's figured it out on a fan level. He's figured out how to market himself. He's figured out how to be that heel, but also walk that line where he's also a fan favorite as well, too, because it's one thing to be a, a heel and just be completely you know, despised and hated by everybody and no one cheers for you. But it's another thing to be that heel that people love. And that's what Casa definitely is right now. I would agree with that. And, and you know, as long as he's making weight and he's physically and, and mentally healthy, He's always going to be a bit of a wild card because he does swing big, and sometimes his defense can get lapsy. But I did see enough to know he's still at least going to be a force, maybe not as much as I thought he was going to be caveman from here on out. But I think uh, you know, I think there is a, a, a sly fox under there, and, and this was a comeback fight to some degree to snap the losing skid. Uh, Rashad, let's keep it going here on this card. Uh, on paper, maybe the best fight of the card in the deepest division in the sport at Bantamweight. And it was Marab Devalish-Wheely extending that win streak to the next level over three rounds, taking a decision from Jose Aldo. Uh, there's some dispute of whether the third round takedown was an official takedown or not. Some people are tweeting at me and saying, no, he was 0 for 16. Either way, Rashad, that constant, constant pressure of the takedown and some of the wild strike attempts... That's gas tank Marab. That's what he does. Uh, how impressive do you think was this win, given given where Jose Aldo was at? Yeah, he's 35, but he came in here ready to get back into a title fight. I think it was very impressive. I mean, you know, to fight somebody like Jose Aldo, who is just, you know, he he's he is so so amazing in so many different ways, and I say that because. As you age as a fighter, it's so hard to recreate the game 
of competition so that you stay mentally, you know, in it where you're, you're striving and constantly trying to reach the top. And once you've climbed a mountain a few times and became champion and stuff like that, it, it's really hard to recalibrate your mindset to do it again after you failed time and time again. And to be where he is right now, to be getting better as it seems as he's getting older, to be getting stronger, to still be able to hang in there cardio wise with these younger fighters is absolutely amazing. And now you take a fighter who still has the same strength, you know, same skill set he did when he was still sharp, but then you put the experience behind it, you're putting you're fighting a very well-rounded fighter, but not only that, a very smart cerebral fighter. So that's what the, uh, Marab had to go against, and, and to be able to defeat him, that's a huge cap in your feather. Because watching Jose Aldo live and watching that fight, I was just so impressed with just the speed, the 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 the, the striking conversation that he was able to have, the angles that he was able to get at. I mean, I was just the, the takedown defense. I was so impressed with Jose and for Marab to beat him I, I was just like wow okay this guy is a real deal i mean it's so bittersweet right now because jose came in in insane shape he came in in great form i thought his defense and his defensive strategy and his in his ability to stuff the takedowns was like a 10 out of 10 but rashadi's also 35 cutting down in weight and I think this was a fight where, you know, there's a great reaction video, by the way, out there of him and his wife consoling him in the locker room afterwards and his head is in his hands. He has to believe, and you can tell me if I'm wrong, given the constant pressure of Marab, that because he was not offensive enough, he kind of left that back door open. He didn't have an argument yeah. for the decision in his way. And he looked in great form. He fought very well. But the leg strikes and the body punches that were there for Jose in round one... He just wasn't trying in rounds two and three. It was almost as if he knew he had a certain amount of money to spend in this fight, if you will. And he put all that money into defense and to, you know, keep himself in positions where he could try to mount some offense. But the offense never came. So do you look at this as a byproduct of Marab's never-ending pressure? Or maybe for the, the great veteran, the king of Hio, the, the, the just badass of badasses. And by the way, that Salt Lake City crowd just showering him with love gave, gave me legit goosebumps. Did he kind of mess up a little bit in the strategy here for what he should have been able to do to give himself a fighting chance? Yeah, I think he did. You know, I felt that as if like in the first round, he was doing a really good job of pumping that jab out there really fast and really, you know, making um, a Rob have to think twice before he was able to just come in with that kind of pressure. But then he's really got out of just that throwing a jab and really looking like he was going to throw anything and started just kind of riding the edge of the cage. And I feel like that was what the judges seen when it came just to octagon pressure and control that Marab had. And then also, you know, he found, you know, himself, you know, striking at short distance, meaning the fact that when you're inside of that black line, you don't have much room to strike. You don't have much room to do anything because all the all your opponent has to do is throw one strike, one kick, or one attempt, or one fake, and the next thing you know, they can clinch you and put you against a cage and just jam up the action for the next you know thirty minutes, thirty seconds to to a minute. You know, so it, it really kind of started the shape in that fight for Jose. But if you know he could have got him just back back to the center of the octagon, he really could have started getting the offense going again. But my biggest thing with with, with Jose is listen. His biggest weapon was his kicks. You know, no matter who he was going going against, he would always throw these kicks, and those kicks will take a lot out of the fighter, and and they will it will completely you know destroy 
everything they can have they have as far as movement is concerned and he hasn't been going to that for a long time yeah. not consistently and i feel like that's one of the biggest problems in his game his boxing looked great he looked very sharp with his boxing but he's missing another element which is his kicks i mean for a guy that age with that i mean he's bricked up rashad i i don't know if he has enough stamina to beat these young guys in a three or five round track meet. Now that three fight win streak right. to get him to this point was inspiring, but it's going to get to a point where he's got to take more chances. And then that opens him up to either potential exhaustion to getting taken down, to getting clipped, uh, man, he was ready. He was ready for his moment, but Marab took it. Now let me spin it back on Devalish Wheelie. I believe it's eight straight wins now. Damn. Uh, the question though, that we wanted answered by Marab was if Jose was able to, to suppress the takedown, which he was time and time again, could Marab make the leap on the striking level to have the type of success where we could talk about him as a legitimate title contender? I'm not sure that was a, a question that was ultimately fully answered. How do you feel about is Marab well-rounded enough to take on the killers that we have here at 135 at the very top? I think he's well-rounded enough, and I say that because of the fact that, you know, with a guy like Jose Aldo, he was still able to go from A to B without taking too much damage in between. A to B, A to B meaning from the outside to the inside without taking too much damage. And whatever he had to do to close the distance, I mean, he didn't have uh, really clean shots, but he, he, he had the perfect kind of transitional shots that allowed him to get into the position that he needed to be in. He threw a lot of big overhands which is, you know, one of those punches that clears the way because either your opponent gets hit by it or he moves out of the way. And if he moves out of the way or he gets hit by it, it does enough action for you as a wrestler that's bringing it forward pressure to get to the position that you need to be in order to be close enough to work your game, which is a close game. So I think he has enough of the uh, the transitional space from his striking to get to his position, which is which is striking. I mean, which which is grappling. But, you know, with the guys who are have a lot better movement than Jose, I think that it might be for a pro might be a problem for him if they can, you know, keep him on his feet and at the same time get in angles and strike. Yeah, I mean whether whether he impressed me enough with his striking or not, you made great points. He used it effectively, even with his takedowns being shut down, to control and win this fight. And this is no small victory. So Rashad, I wanted to sort of ask you where this puts Marab in the title picture. It's not a title shot next. Where What would be the best opponent? But this is muddled a bit by the aftermath of this fight and the reality that he's teammates with the champion Aljamain Sterling. And there's probably no better person to ask than you who famously had the, the on-again, off-again friendship with John Jones that led to that big title fight in the breakup in camp. When you saw Marab leave no doubt, no stone unturned, I don't ask me again, I will not fight my brother, my teammate, and you hear him so honestly say, I'm only where I'm at as a professional because of the love and brotherhood of Aljo making me work and helping me and teach me. Is this the right play for Marab, given how close they are, to just say, it's not happening, guys, but I'm going to keep fighting whoever they put in front of me? You know, there's some times in life, man, it's it's the morality of a situation that means more than, than the... Um, than your own personal growth because your own personal growth, uh, you know, it, it may be disguised in a sense where you feel as if you have the best personal growth by taking the opportunity to do the fight, but the the, the more personal growth is in effect to not take the fight because it, it, it proves that, 
you know, um, you know, that, that you were real about, about about coming into the fold and the fact that you respect the people who were there before you. But it shows that you're not greedy. And the fact that, you know, he, he's he's straight up and he's, you know, um, willing to, to just allow his teammate to be champion without without challenging for the belt. That's that 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 right there is um is is truly what it's about to be a mixed martial artist in, in the fact of you know being in the team setting. But you know at, at the same time, you only got so much uh, time in this game. You sure. know you only got so much time in this game. So um, it, it, it's a tough situation to be in, and um, it, I, I give him respect for his, his take on it. But if the main goal of having this opportunity to fight is to get as far as you can down the road before the proverbial car runs out of gas, then, you know, he might have to take that fight because, you know, you, you make a whole different pay once you have become a champion. Once you've become mentored a champion, you know, your, your pay scale is forever going to be different, which changes your life, which, is, you know, helps feed your family and whatever, whatnot. So it, it's more to to the whole equation than that. And the fact that he's not taking a fight, it shows that he's, you know, morally just a good dude, but it's tough, man. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's levels to this moral good dude thing. We've seen Daniel Cormier leave the division not to mess with Cain Velasquez, his friend and training buddy. Um, I think this conversation changes if Aljo is able to get through the gauntlet, which is TJ Dillashaw next, the potential of fighting the winner of O'Malley Yam, the potential of fighting the winner of Sanhagen Yang. I mean, this uh, Song Yudong, excuse me. This is as deep a division. It's an easy, nice thing to say now, knowing that this this title could go hot potato. But a year and a half from now, when Marab's thirty-two, you know, I think you're right. I think that the situation, if Aljo puts together a reign, would have to be revisited. Right now, you're actually seeing Aljo in his corner. That shows you how yeah. close they are. Uh, what do you think is a right fight for Marab. When I look at the top 10, I kind of like Cheeto Vera coming off a huge win going against him. Is that the right fight for, for both of them in your eyes? Yeah, I feel like Cheeto would be a great fight for him. And I mean, I feel like, you know, Cheeto looked amazing in his last fight and, and really, you know, got people talking about him. And to fight somebody like Marab would be, would, would be another uh, great fight because Marab is going to bring it on his end. So, yeah, I think that would be another uh, another great matchup, another blockbuster, another main event for both of those guys. So I, I, I think 135 is, is one of my favorite weight classes. You know, it's so deep and it's just got so much talent. And these little guys are really changing the way we see uh, mixed martial arts in a lighter weight class, you know, these guys are super competitive and they're fun to watch. You know, they're 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 super fun to watch. So, I mean, no matter who's at the top at 135, you know, it's going to be a lot of good action. I mean, the, you get a window to fight for a title and you don't take it. It may go away. We may have to go you away. Know, Henry Cejudo could parachute into this division again. There's a lot that could well, happen. I mean, well, Henry Cejudo is parachuting. He's getting ready to fight, man. He's going to he's going to come back and fight. I seen Henry at the fights and he looked like he was ready to fight. He looked like he was in fight shape. And, you know, he's uh, I think he's getting ready for something. Uh, Jose Aldo, 35. Just just the man. I mean, just just the freaking man. We all love and respect him. He's still really freaking good. I yeah. mean, what does he do? Take take big fights against other old names, move and wait. What do you what do you see as the future here for the king? 
You know, I don't know. I don't I don't want to write his obituary because, you know, the fight that I seen on Saturday didn't necessarily spell the end to me. You know, I, I honestly I felt as if like I felt that um, in my opinion, I thought that Jose won that fight uh, on just, you know, the fact that he was able to stop stuff to take downs and he was able to land the cleaner shots. And, you know, the pressure was was a problem, but I felt as if like, you know, he handled it pretty well. So I don't think that that fight to me was all telling on the fact that he needs to only take blockbuster fights against, you know, big name fighters. I feel I still think that he does, um, you know, present some problems to his weight class. Now it's just a matter of, you know, does he still believe it? Does he still want to continue to chase the rabbit and continue to, you know, see if something can happen and he can fight through another loss and get himself back on path to, you know, get a potential title shot. So, but but I feel like skill wise, I don't feel like I've seen a slippage in his game yet. No, he wasn't getting hurt. I mean, two of the three judges had it 29-28 Marab. So it shows you how close Jose may have actually been with maybe a one more surge here to taking this fight still on the level. Uh, I'd love for him to do anything he wants to do moving forward. Uh, Rashad, quickly on that crowd. Uh, talked up on the broadcast the whole time. Not a usual spot there in Utah that the UFC goes to. Was it a a, a great crowd in your eyes? Oh, man, the crowd was absolutely phenomenal, man. That, that crowd was super loud. They showed up pretty early, and uh, they were into it, man. They were into yeah. it. They was just, from, from, from the first fight, they just really just, you know, gave the fighters just, you know, a huge, huge uh, adrenaline push when they went out there. I know they love Carl Malone and multiple wives in those areas. I didn't know they loved the <laughs> UFC on that level. Sister uh, to wives. To close, Rashad, uh, the prelim featured bout was heavyweight Alexander Romanov looking to keep that unbeaten run going, but he did run into Marcin Tybura, and I got to I gotta bend the knee and say I was wrong. Aaron Bronstetter said this could really be the tough fight that could catch Romanov on this growth. Although he dominated the first round, how do you sort of gauge this performance for Romanov and what he may need to, need to do to fix it to get back on track? Well, I mean, we kind of got a peek of, of, of Romanov and what his weakness was. I think it was maybe three fights ago. I forget the exact fighter he was fighting, but it was one where he got completely gassed. And um, we've we seen a lot of that in this fight. And I think, you know, the first round with Romanov, you know, he's doing a lot of big moving and posing his wrestling. He has great wrestling. He has great skill. And he's a strong guy. But when you're expending that kind of strength and you have a guy as stubborn as Tybor who, who's not going for it, you know, you need to pack a lunch. And you need to also find different ways of controlling grappling situations without expending so much energy. And by that, I mean this. There's a whole wall and brawl technique that no one did better than Randy Couture. Randy Couture can melt away rounds of the fight just by being able to control a guy against the cage. Now, the cage and using the cage is very analogous to using the ground because you're able to force your opponent against uh, something flat and be able to work your magic from there and they have to work their way to get off it. So I felt as, I feel as if like... Romanoff needs to find another way to impose his wrestling besides using these big energy, you know, uh, taking techniques in order to control his opponent. I feel like, and also, you know, in, in Salt Lake City, the altitude was giving a lot of fighters yes. problems, you know, a lot of fighters problems. And I think that's another aspect that a lot of fighters didn't 
truly anticipate, you know, because you you it's like when you go to Denver and you go to places that you know that that are typically known for for a high elevation, you know, you know to kind of be ready for that mentally. But when you go to places like, you know, Albuquerque, New Mexico or Salt Lake City, you know, they're high altitude and they're, they don't necessarily get the, the hype for being high altitude. And sometimes you go there, and you get a surprise. And it looked as if like a lot of fighters were were surprised with just how they were feeling. And Romanoff was one of them. But I mean, I, mean, Mar- I wonder with Jose Aldo, like we're like, hey, man, pull the trigger. He may have been doing everything he had at that elevation to keep that fight in, in control. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, but I've seen it time and time again throughout the night. Fighters were just fading and fading. But you know, uh, you know, Marcin, you know, he 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 with he withstood that first round, and then he just started putting together a solid game plan of just simplicity. You know, ones and twos and sprawls, ones and twos and sprawls. And by the end of the second and third round, he had a dang Romanov who was just who who was struggling. You know, to just kind of do anything that he was doing remotely close that he in the first round. So uh, Romanov just has to fix his gas tank, man. Yeah, and I think the fight you were mentioning for Romanov was Juan Espino, where ended up being a technical decision, split decision in the third round when Romanov got knee to the groin and couldn't continue. And, uh, you know, he barely pulled that out, 29-28 on two scorecards. So if he can fix that, he could be potentially dominant. But, you know, shout out to Tybura. He was he was stingy in just about every category and tough enough to withstand the damage and just outlast him. A big win for him. All right, Rashad, we're going to get back into MMA with uh, some PFL and uh, some BKFC MMA crossover in Topic 5. But let's go to Topic 3, arguably the biggest fight of the weekend in terms of stakes and attention, although that kick from Edwards certainly <laughs> blew up social media to levels we didn't imagine. It was Alexander Usyk and Anthony Joshua, part two from Jeddah, Saudi Arabia, three of four heavyweight titles at stake. This was the contractual mandatory rematch because, look, you fight somebody on AJ's star level, you're typically in boxing, going to have to beat them twice. Rashad, the stakes, the storylines were a bit different in this one because AJ doubled down, brought in new trainer Robert Garcia, you saw him adapt a bit, go more to the body, change his stance, and Usyk legitimately coming off the front lines of war to put his flag on his back and and come in with an intensity that I don't think I've seen in him before. It didn't turn into the theatrics I thought we might see, you know, potential of both guys going down, ending in a knockout. This was a boxing match. It was highly technical. It was fun. It was drama at times. But it was more of the same from the first fight. It goes down this time, though, as a split decision as one judge, Connecticut's own Glenn Feldman, giving seven rounds to Anthony Joshua, which certainly debatable. I had an 8-4 to four in favor of Usyk. He did Usyk things out there, Rashad. At the end of the day, what was your biggest takeaway from watching this rematch? Well, I mean, you know, shout out to Usyk. Usyk did a tremendous job, you know, putting your people... Uh, the Ukraine people, their plight on his back and really finding a way to work through uh, all of that and, and go out there and have a great performance. Um, you know, I thought that Usyk was very sharp with his combination striking. His jab was really good and it gave, um, you know, uh, Joshua a lot of problems because he would change up the angle of the jab. But even up jab, he'll go, you know, he was very crafted the way he was switching that jab up. And I feel like, you know, the the fight was getting away from Anthony Joshua at the gate because for one, he he's he, it, it was it was a bad, I think, game plan if the game plan was to go in there and box with the boxer. 
you know, exactly. Anthony Joshua, you know, he, he he's a bigger guy. And, and as a bigger, stronger guy, he needed to make the fight like he made the fight from uh, like from the seventh round on where he got the referee more involved. Listen, you got a referee in there. Lean on this dude. Lean on him. Let the referee get his shirt all sweaty and wet and full of blood, keeping you guys apart. But lean on him. And whenever whenever Anthony Joshua did lean on him, you've seen how tired Usyk was. And that's where Anthony Joshua was able to land those big shots. You're not gonna you're not gonna beat a boxer by throwing ones and twos and throwing one punch at a time. You got to throw combinations if you're going to be boxing with the boxer. And, and Anthony and Joshua just didn't do that. And it seemed as if like there were moments where he was going to start throwing combinations. But let's face it, he's not a combination boxer. So if you're not going to be a combination boxer, you have to use your other tool, which is your size. Lean on them, get them tired, land that big shot. Uh, you nailed it right there. Uh, the, the first, the, the mistake in the first fight was potentially underestimating Usyk. It was trying to box the boxer, and let's give Usyk credit. In fight one, he went early to land big, hard left crosses to sort of send a message. This, again, more of a boxing match, and even though Joshua went back to the lab with Robert Garcia, and I like the, the crouched down stance. I like that he was able to stand at a closer distance. He, he brought back the jab in ways he didn't in the first fight, although he didn't consistently stick with it. And I think that was because, as you said, Usyk's variety and how he countered the jab, whether he's going straight, whether he's going underneath, the up shovel jab, it was it was beautiful. It was perfect. And here's the, here's the true fact, Rashad. And maybe this is what fueled a second straight miscalculation for Joshua, is outside of Tyson Fury, there's just not fighters in this division who can do what Alexander Usyk did, who right. are six foot three southpaw with that type of foot speed, IQ, mental toughness. So I can't do anything but look at this rematch and say once again, yeah, Anthony, you fought better, but it's the wrong style at the wrong time. He can outbox almost everybody else in the division because he's a great athlete. He's smarter than people give him credit. He's learned on the job and he's become a very good fighter overall. But Tyson Fury and Alexander Usyk are great heavyweights. They are the class of this era. You cannot beat a great scientific wizard heavyweight by trying to stand in there and out, out, out technical him, out, you know, out, out, out box him. So while the addition of the body punches were good, and let's give him credit. Rounds eight and nine were, were AJ's moment, and he hurt Usyk to the body. He backed him up. He started to mix in some shots. But, Rashad, you you show under duress what you're really made of. Usyk showed that his intangibles are A++ by his ability in round 10 to not only come back aggressive and flip the tables back on AJ when we were sort of questioning, is Usyk gassed? Is he finally hurt to the body? Will he be immobile? And I don't know if you saw that one right cross that Joshua threw. In the midst of Usyk making a comeback, most people get knocked out by that right cross. Usyk yeah. head got jerked back, and he came back with combinations. His ability to answer all the single punches Joshua was doing with two and three punch combinations. And really, Usyk didn't commit to power shots like he did the first fight. He leaned on his skills. He leaned on the technical advantages. He got it done. I know AJ was upset with the scores and himself, and we'll get into in a minute that bizarre meltdown he had afterwards. But Rashad, if he's not willing to commit to risk the knockout in order to get one, you just can't beat this guy. I mean, styles make fights for a reason. I don't understand the strategy here. I, I mean, maybe there's part of them that thinking we can slow him down 
and then maybe what? We get a backdoor scorecard because of our aggression? I don't know. There's a certain point in that fight where you have to find urgency. He never found that. Never did. No, nah, he, he never found it. He never found it. And he didn't even look close to even understanding the method in which way he needed to fight. Um, it, it seemed as if like he, he was trying to, you know, he, he believed in his training. He believed that having a new trainer was going to make him a better boxer. And it did make him a better boxer. But you're not going to close the distance on the kind of skill that Usyk have in a training camp. You know, that takes years and years and, and, and a long time of experience in order to master that ability to be comfortable throwing the punches how Usyk does in a combination sense. So uh, Anthony Joshua, you know, it, it seemed as if like he understood the fact that he was a bigger fighter. And even speaking about what you said, you know, uh, about his post-fight um, uh, talk, he knows that he's a bigger fighter. He knows that he's a stronger fighter, but yet he didn't use it. And I think that that was the most frustrating part for him fighting Usyk. And it kind of let me know that he gave in to frustration because when you think that, when you think, okay, this guy, I'm bigger than this guy, I'm stronger than this guy, but yet you still feel like you're getting hit, that is frustrating as hell. So I can kind of see that that maybe frustrating, the frustration, not only just, you know, being outskilled, but just the frustration also helped to usher in the demise of the night for uh, Joshua. And look, let's talk about it. We're probably going to see some of these elements and have you seen this shit, but his post-fight uh meltdown included him taking the championship belts throwing him to the ground storming out of the ring pushing his father out of the way almost having a dust up with a member of the crowd then spinning around coming back in commandeering the microphone and this is where I, this is where it really rubbed a lot of people the wrong way you gotta understand Usyk's fighting for a nation we don't really understand the emotions involved right we haven't we haven't had a sort of big boxing match during wartime where you know that lewis schmelling two feeling of like you know, the USA's fighting, not Joe Lewis. We haven't had that in a long time. And Usyk's got tears in his eyes. Only AJ commandeers the mic like he's Luke Thomas at a uh, <laughs> at a live Las Vegas show uh, after too many margaritas, Rashad. And, you know, he all the compliments he gave Usyk were backhanded. He's complaining. And he's almost going into, like, this weird character where he's like, people say I can't throw combinations. I'm not fucking Rocky Marciano, all right? I weigh 18 stone. I mean, like, he was really... Uh, look, I get you're frustrated that you lost when maybe you thought you put in a performance that was better than the first. It was a little bit better than the first. But he completely commandeered that moment. And I think for a lot of people that think AJ is a, a little fake, a little bit of a robot, a little bit of let me show you on the mic that I'm this grand guy, the real guy underneath may have come out in that. And I, I liked his apology afterwards on social media. And everybody deserves, Rashad, a chance to screw up now and then. But that was cringe side of the road, like get that away from me watching how was Usyk that poised Rashad I mean most guys are just you take a, sh a flag off that guy's shoulders and put it over your own as you're disparaging him how did you sort of read all this you know it, it, was, it was very awkward and I felt as if like maybe uh <laughs> Usyk may have not been you know may have not been all the way you know tuned in to just like the backhanded compliment that he was getting or just you know what I'm saying but I mean it, it's it, it just truly showed to me more than anything was just you know the frustration that Anthony Joshua is just feeling on so many levels, you know, and um, the simple fact that he wasn't able to go in there and 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 improve on a way that amounted to a win it is frustrating because now if you're him, you're left with, OK, what do I do? I, I truly gave my best and there's nothing 
more um, frustrating and spells the end or kind of feels like the end when you gave it all you got and you just have you just don't have enough, you know, and that's, you know, going back to Luke, Luke, Luke Rockhold, you know, when he was talking about he's old and he doesn't have anything left, he gave everything he had and it just wasn't good enough. And sometimes you just feel that way. And I wonder if Anthony Joshua was kind of feeling a shadow of yeah. something like that. Look, when you have no excuses and you give everything you have and you lose in any sport or any endeavor, that are, that's the, oh, the, the potential turning point moment where you either go in the other direction or you dig deep. Let's give AJ credit. He's always dug deep, whether in fights, getting up off the canvas, coming back after the, the embarrassment of the Andy Ruiz loss. I think he'll be back. I think he will make huge fights the rest of his career, whether it's finally fighting Wilder, whether it's, you know, finally fighting uh, Fury. Uh, there's, there's a lot of opportunities here potentially for him. I think he'll be okay, but yeah, there's a lot of looking in the mirror, and I hope stylistically to figure out against certain opponents, I can only do certain things. Um, we'll see. Before we get into Fury and what could be next, I did want to hit up Usyk Rashad just from this standpoint. He's becoming historically relevant. He's undefeated, Olympic gold medalist, became the first four-belt undisputed cruiserweight champion and went through a gauntlet in that tournament a couple years back to unify and get here. And now he's got two wins over Anthony Joshua and a chance to fight for undisputed heavyweight championship. Um, the only problem up to this point is like he's still in the midst of his prime. This is, he's only had four heavyweight fights. We haven't seen him, you know, go beat Dillian White, go beat Luis Ortiz, go beat Tyson Fury, go beat all these guys. But for up to this point, are we truly watching something special in your eyes? I mean, does it jump through the screen to you like it does for me and a lot of my boxing compatriots? You know, it, it didn't. And I wasn't somebody who got Usyk right away. It really took some time for me to uh, to really look at him and just kind of see what I'm working with here. But I'm, I'm really starting to get on the hype train of Usyk. You know, he, he's got he, he's got something, you know, he, he's a very smart fighter and um, he's got one of those things that is is very hard to plan for. If you're a fighter like on tape, he looks one way. But when you get inside the ring with him. It seems as if like a lot of fighters are like, oh, man, this is nothing like I thought it was going to be at all. You know, he's faster. His combinations are better. His footwork is better. His, you know, his ideation on where to throw, where he needs to be is so much better than you can even pick up on film. And I think that's what comes across. And when you get in there with them, it's a total different story. So I think he's definitely somebody who's, you know, gaining more respect and who's definitely becoming a huge problem. Now the next step is is really, I mean, you know, with respect to Spence Crawford, which has maybe a higher pound-for-pound pound impact, there's no bigger fight you can make in this sport than Alexander Usyk versus Tyson Fury for all four heavyweight titles. Whether it's the end of this year, early next year, look, it has to happen for the sport. I thought the best thing Usyk said afterwards was... Uh, if I don't, if you know Tyson, come out of retirement. Let's do this. You're not retired, and if you don't do this, I'm not fighting anyone else. That's the best move. And, and Rashad, I've said it a million times. The retirement thing of Fury seems to all be fake or just a waste of time or whatever. Until he gives up that WBC belt and allows somebody else to fight for it, he's not retired. And if he doesn't fight Usyk right now, as much as I love Tyson, put that scarlet letter on him. You can't recover from that type of ducking. I still think Fury will be favored across the board, and really, as great as Usyk is, he's going to have to notch it up another level to beat Fury. Is how do you sort of see this potential matchup playing out? Because Fury at six foot nine is a total freaking unicorn, and Usyk at six three can do things shoe shine wise, you know, technique wise that guys this size just don't do. 
But if anybody can solve that, it's got to be Tyson Fury, right? I, I think it's definitely Tyson Fury because I, I look at Tyson Fury and you look at the way Tyson has fought Deontay Wilder and his few fights, you know, his fights after that is the fact that, you know, Tyson Fury can fight in many different ways. He can be the boxer. He can be the ground, uh, the grinder. He can be the power puncher. You know, he can be slick. He can be so many different things. And and he's and, and he can be all those things while he's fighting one person. You know, he can constantly switch back and forth between these different styles and really changing the effectiveness of his technique because he's so fluid and he's so good and he's so cerebral the way that he fights. You know, if this fight was to happen, I would like Tyson Fury in this one, but I think Usyk would, would definitely give him a bit of trouble with his combination punching and his ability to kind of stay inside. And also, not for nothing, Usyk is a lot more physical than, than you would think for somebody of his size. He fights yes. very physical for somebody being as small as he is, so don't think that you're going to just bully over him with the strength. So it, it would be very interesting, but I do like Tyson Fury because he has more ways, technically speaking, to win. Yeah, that's why I, I, I don't, I don't want to believe that this is all a setup for a duck. I, I think it's just him trying to build leverage, all that, and shout out to him for Fury on that. I think you're right, because as much as we're saying, look, AJ, you got to mirror what Derek Chisora did in the fight before AJ when Usyk won a close decision and he got physically handled because Chisora was so physical and yeah. wrapping him up and coming forward. Well, anytime AJ even sniffed that out, to your point, Usyk two-handed shove. It wasn't overly, like, dirty, but it was timely in the moment. Two-handed shove, create that space, throw punches. He's special, and even though I, I still would like Fury against him, although we need to see that fight, don't underestimate that. Fury's able to do all of these quick things he's doing against heavyweights that, in comparison to Usyk, are slow and plotting. You know what I'm saying? So oh, yeah. it's still going to be an adjustment for him against somebody like Usyk, but... Man, what a night, what a time. The division, I mean, heavyweight division, heavyweight boxing is just different, Rashad, at this level. When you get guys like this, it's just different. It was a joy to watch this fight. I loved it. I loved it. Yeah, me too, man. It, it, it's, it's, it's really what's bringing back boxing. You know what I'm saying? The heavyweight division, like, before it was a lightweight class that was carrying the whole boxing scene. But once the heavyweights reemerged on the scene, it just brought back this excitement in the weight class. I mean, in, in the boxing in general, and kind of like put jumper cables to boxing. Yeah, yeah. Speaking of the box, we'll continue into topic four here. Uh, Saturday night in Hollywood, Florida. I was there for the prelims with Keith Thurman. Shout out to all you who took part. But it went down a quadruple header in the main event, a 140-pound uh, last-minute replacement with Adrian Broner out, former world champion Sergey Lipinets in. It was a comeback story for Omar Figueroa Jr. from uh, a rough couple of years and defeats and a bipolar disorder and many other things going on. But this turned out, Rashad, even though he was the last-minute replacement to be a showcase, that Sergey Lipinets still might have it here, the former world champion, who moved back down from 147, took a couple losses there, especially against Boots Ennis. This seems to be the weight class where he's at. They gave us the action we expected, including Figueroa jumping all over him. But Lipinets was a samurai in there, Rashad, uh, akin to his nickname. You had to like the counterpunching and the way he was able to, in the end, overwhelm and stop Figueroa. Lipinets was just uh, on point. He was on point. You know, he, he was aggressive. He jumped on it and uh, he didn't waste no time. His, you know, his punch selection was very creative and it, it was it was hard. And he threw a lot of punches and he threw them with power. And just, I mean, the domination of this fight was, was just it, it, it was it was out of control. Like when he knocked him down, I believe it was like in a 
second or third round, I forget which round it was. It was just kind of like, okay, how how is this fight gonna, you know, how is how is Figueroa gonna, you know, come back after this? But I mean, Lipinets just was just on point, and, and he really just beat the snot out of Figueroa, like, and, and just. It it, 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 it kind of made me sad a little bit, to be honest, to look at Figueroa and just kind of see him just just morally just get destroyed. I, I wonder if he heads into retirement after this night, and I saw some comments from him that may have teased that. It's his third straight defeat for Figueroa. He's always been somebody who, like, former champion at lightweight, but... I don't want to say he was looked at as a weight bully, but he was somebody who was going to be bigger at that weight class, could cut down, and then could just get in your face, lean on you, and throw those haymakers all night, force you into submission. It's the same style his brother Brandon uses at featherweight. But ever since moving up in weight, Rashad, you know, the punching power hasn't carried. So when you have long arms, yet you don't use the length, and you have a style that walks right into oncoming traffic, if you're not mentally, physically, spiritually, emotionally at your best... You're going to find guys like this. And what Lippinets does so great is he's a technician, but he uses a brawling style, meaning he's a technician in front of you in the pocket. And he had to take, you know, some some flurries early. But once he figured out Figueroa's odd style of switching stances and coming in at angles, Figueroa can't hurt him. And that was the major problem, which led to his father, Omar Sr., who was back in his corner after a long absence, uh, throwing in the towel after round eight. I don't know if, if, if Figueroa should continue, Rashad, because this style doesn't age well in these divisions with these level punchers. He's been through a lot. He seems to, to, as much as it was brave for him to get back here, wasn't a lot to love overall with this performance. Hey, you know what? Like Scott, uh, like, like they say, it's in the eyes, Chico. It's in the eyes. And, yeah. and, and, and in the eyes of Figueroa, it just didn't look like he wanted to be there, you know. Um, I don't know what he's gone through and what he's been going through on a personal level, but you know that the story about him trying to make it through depression and making it through, you know, the, the mental uh, health issues. I I seen a bit of of the remnants, or it seems you can still see a bit of the remnants of that uh, in this fight. You know, it just didn't look like he was confident, and and then once the fight started getting away from him, you just kind of see him sink into this expression where it almost spelled like I want to quit but at the same time you know he knew he you know he didn't he didn't want to quit in front of his his people so he, he kind of felt you know fought through it but it, it, it was it was a dead man walking he didn't really fight like he wanted to be out there yeah we'll see what happens moving forward for Omar Figueroa who's given us some incredible fights and and always a game always game uh for Lipinets you got to believe he's going to be able to spin this into a potential title opportunity still seems game still seems ready now back in his right weight class and quickly Rashad on that opener we saw unbeaten Brandon Lee who is a young puncher at 140 worth watching got knocked down for the first time in his career and got knocked down on a nasty shot but got up they were all righted the wrong Got a got a decision win. I think we got a, a replay here potentially of this knockdown. It was uh, it was pretty nasty. His body went in the other direction, but you know he said afterwards these are the type of fights I needed. And he's coming off a decision win, in which he also against Zakachoa didn't shine in other ways. He's doing that. Rashad, when you're a young fighter and you're knocking everybody out and blowing them away, you kind of need people who who will no sell you and make you work for it. There's the knockdown that we mentioned to to sort of find out who you really are when the other person doesn't go down. So could end up being a, a really important step for Brandon Lee, who's an, a heck of an athlete. Yeah, absolutely. As a fighter, you know, you 
you hope to get tested at the same time you really don't because those tests come in a form of you know getting knocked down and, and potentially losing a fight but it's through these moments of working through adversity of working through things that are not when they're not going your way that makes you a fighter who can make it through any situation and you have to have moments like this if you want to be that guy. If you want to be somebody who truly, you know, is historical, you have to be somebody who's able to rise and 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 go where, you know, when, when things are when the chips are down, you still find a way to get it done. Absolutely. Uh, Lee was 24 and 0 with 22 KOs coming in, but he goes the distance here over Will Madera, gets the job done. Uh, we'll see what happens. He's going to be fun to watch, but uh, this was another learning moment there. Uh, we'll go to topic five, which is a rest of the weekend hodgepodge. Uh, Rashad, I don't know what the networks and promoters were thinking, putting on about 17 events, most of them in, in England, it would seem. And PFL 9 was one of those. The semifinals in two different divisions. And Kayla Harrison in the main event, Two-time champ, defending champion at women's lightweight, excuse me, 155, took on Martina Jindrova, and uh, it didn't take her long. Three minutes plus in, an arm triangle choke after going to full mount. This was full domination, and before we get into who she'll face next and why it's actually an interesting matchup, for as quick as it was, uh, what'd you see here from the, the one-woman gang of Kayla Harrison? Well, I've seen that she's gotten a lot better with her striking and just being comfortable to set up her takedown and that transition. You know, she had a really nice bounce and, uh, you know, really good defense, too, as far as, you know, seeing punches coming. So I think that that's a that's a huge wrinkle in her game and something that she can start to develop more. Because, listen, the takedowns are not always going to be there. You have to be able to find a way and feel comfortable enough to strike and close the distance with your hands and keep the fight on your feet potentially if you have to. And it looked like she's starting to get to that point. But I mean, when she's on top, she's just so physically dominating that it's a foregone conclusion once she gets on top. And, uh, you know, it's really hard for me to imagine her going against somebody who's able to compete with her on the ground and with the strength that she has. At the very least, Rashad, where Kayla's in a division, in a promotion, in which she's just mopping the floor, dominant. What is she, 15-0 and 0 at this point? And I know she's looking to next year and hopefully bringing in Cyborg. She was calling out Amanda Nunes. I mean, she's calling out everybody. She's got the pro wrestling shtick down for the promos. I haven't gotten the feeling she, like, loves being here, like there's any real competition. At the very least, this time around, she's going to have somebody in the championship who, yes, she knows well in Larissa Pacheco, but somebody, Rashad, who is on fire, the 27-year-old Brazilian who fought Kayla Harrison twice in the 2019 PFL season, once in the regular, once in the championship, and although she lost both, she pushed Kayla to the limit, losing decisions three and five rounds in both. And Rashad, she's now 5-0 and with five first-round finishes since that fight. In fact, the only person she's lost to in the last 10 fights is Kayla Harrison. They're going to meet now for a third time in the championship because Pacheco went out there against Olena Kolesnik, who she had knocked out in last year's season and did it again in the first round with big punches. Rashad, I didn't even realize this was the same fighter who had two UFC fights going back to 2015 and got stopped by Jessica Andrade by submission at Bantamweight, got stopped by Jermaine Durandamy, and then got cut. So, okay, she had two losses to two champions, She's now two weight classes higher, and she's a freaking threat. She's a train that's coming on, and she already knows that she's had at least some level of success against Kayla Harrison. How good is Larissa Pacheco here? Because she's blowing people away. 
Well, she's she's really good, to be honest. She's really good. I mean, her stand up and her ability to keep the fight where she needs to keep the fight is just is is good. But I mean, having the experience, you know, of going with 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 Kayla a couple times, it, it kind of makes it easier for her to you know to fight her for the third time because now. She's she's not that monster, you know what I'm saying? She's 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 kind of got knocked off the pedestal a little bit of just that anticipation. Sometimes you fight somebody and you, you know you're so nervous to fight them and they have all these accolades going in, you're beat before the competition start. Well, that's not going to be the case because you know she's taken her off that pedestal because she's gone the distance with her and she knows what it's like to be in there with her. So it's going to be um, a difficult fight for Kayla, I believe. You know, in, in in so many ways because of the fact that she's fighting somebody who is not afraid to be in there. And look, how many Kayla Harrison opponents have a potential legitimate chance under the PFL banner to knock her out with one strike? You would say, are there any? Well, there is. It's Loretta right. Pacheco. And, and, and even though, again, lost twice to Harrison, Rashad, those two losses are now three calendar years ago. Pacheco is not the fighter that lost at 135 to Andrade and Durandamy anymore. She may not even be the fighter that's lost to Harrison twice three years ago. Uh, Aaron Bronstetter tried to get me hyped up for this fight, and I told him, look, you know, I know TSN has exclusive Canadian rights to PFL, but, you know, don't sell me this timeshare. I'm not willing. I'm willing now, Rashad. I'm looking forward to this because, you know, Harrison is Harrison one woman must-see TV? Yes. Kayla Harrison is truly elite, a potential special athlete. Well, she's got someone who's hungry who can finish her and has a nice high and tight fade, Larissa Pacheco. So shout out there. Um, I'm looking for this, Rashad. We'll see what happens. On the men's featherweight side, you had Bubba Jenkins finishing Ryoji Kudo by first round rear naked choke. Some two suplexes got his back and got him. And then we had Brendan Lochnan. You may remember him getting mm-hmm. uh, rejected by Dana White for wrestling too much on the Contender Series. He's battled all the way through this tournament. And he went here with Chris Wade, and they did not like each other. And Brendan Lockman took a three-round 30-27 to 27 unanimous decision. Bubba Jenkins, Brendan Lockman embraced after the fights. They were laughing. They like each other. You know they're going to go to battle. This has become sort of an interesting draw here for PFL at 145 pounds. Do you have a feeling of which way this is going to go come championship time? Because both Jenkins and Lockman looked really good in their particular fights here. Yeah, Bubba Jenkins really seemed to figure it out, you know, with his wrestling and also with his striking. So now he's kind of figured out his special sauce and it takes some time, you know, in order to figure that out as a wrestler coming into the sport. But it looks like Bubba has figured it out. But Brandon is a special athlete. I had a chance to train with him uh, a few years ago back in L.A. with uh, Dominic Cruz. He's really good friends with Dominic Cruz. And, uh, you know, he, he I was really impressed with just his overall skill you know he's got some rhythm too you know what i'm saying so he has got he's got that that smoothness to a style so it's going to be a very interesting matchup and 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 the thing with brandon is that he can fight at many different levels he can wrestle he has really good striking and he has a really good imagination so being creative inside the cage it's going to be a really good fight and i feel like if bubba's going to win this fight he's going to have to you know really win it on his feet first before he can start imposing any of his wrestling yeah, and Wade had been a, a, a in different weight classes, a regular here in the PFL playoffs and making noise. And Wade landed a, a high kick to the back of the neck of Lockman in the first round. So Brendan had to really fight through that, and he ended up getting all three judges uh, uh, score the scores in his direction every round on all three scorecards, thirty to twenty-seven. So I'm looking forward to this. Look, PFL, it's like you know, two years ago, 
get off my screen. Last year, yeah, I kind of like it. You know, there's some personalities, there's some old names, you know. They, they got me. They got me, Rashad. Now, 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 the smart cage, that's another story. Don't get Luke Thomas going on the smart cage, okay? I mean, how smart, <laughs> how smart is that? I mean, it's, 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 it's a chain fence, okay? I mean, what are we doing here? You, can you order your food from there? I don't think so, you know? I mean, maybe like Alexa, maybe the smart cage is always listening, Rashad. Maybe. Yeah, maybe, maybe that's it. All right, there you go. Uh, that, that was PFL 9. Uh, we closed topic 5, the second half of it, with what went down also in London BKFC, Michael Venom Page signed a one-off contract to get away from Bellator for a hot second, to take the money, take the opportunity. Maniac Platinum Mike Perry was in front of him. Rashad, I didn't have the balls to pick Mike Perry, but on Friday's show when I told everybody, look, this is not the format for MVP style. You got to be grimy as shit. And it's not that he's not willing to go in there. He fought six rounds with Mike Perry but I'm here to say I'm not surprised, motherfuckers, that Mike Perry found a way to get inside and just almost outgross him or outwill him. Uh, people told me I was crazy, Rashad. They've told me that a few times in my life. I don't know. I kind of popped when the decision was read. Mike Perry earned this shit. He went into the, uh, you know, behind the building into the street to earn this. He got the job done. I don't, I don't even know how to ask you a question here. What would you think of this, of this, uh, of this slop here? Man, I, I love it, man. I'm, I'm a huge Mike Perry fan. I, I absolutely love the way that he fights and the place that he fights from. You know what I'm saying? He fights from that fuck it place that I absolutely love. And um, he did that. He did that on Saturday. But, you know, one thing that I really felt that, you know, uh, the MVP did himself a really disservice is the fact that technically speaking, I, I, I just I just I felt like he, he really missed a big opportunity to capitalize on the size. Now, now, listen to me when I say this, like he's a long fighter and he could have just kept Mike Perry at the end of his jabs the whole yeah. time trying to walk forward. But for some odd freaking reason, MVP thought it'd be a good idea to throw his right hand all night. And really didn't use his jab at all. Now, 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 listen. He has a stance where he's kind of, you know, he he's very um, like that karate stance, right? So when he kind of throws his right hand, now his right hand it, it doesn't have the reach, it doesn't have the length. So now his right hand is the same length as Mike Mike Perry's is for him. So now he's punching with Mike Perry, and they're hitting each other simultaneously instead of him being able to hit Mike and Mike not being able to hit him if he would have used his long his 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 lead hand. And that's what I, it kind of just perplexed me because whenever he was able to use his jab and use it effectively, it looked like Mike Perry couldn't find where he was at. But I I fully agree with that analysis. It, no jab. You're you're the longer no. fighter. I thought this fight could be competitive because, as we talked about last week, Mike Perry or MVP can't use the threat of the knees and the legs to to freeze guys. I mean, this is this is what it is. These, you know, you're going yeah. after it here. It's a different game. You have to condition your knuckles differently. You have to load up at certain times when other times not. There's clinching and, and dirty boxing involved. I thought if Mike Perry could get inside, he could yuck this up to where he could have some success. They both, in the end, I'm giving credit, had to show a ton of heart and will to get. I mean, look, they went five rounds. It was ruled a split draw. Uh, Page got knocked down in the first round. Perry in the third round got dropped to his hands. They went to the overtime round, and you saw Mike Perry just go to a place that he's, frankly, more comfortable being in. 
It, Rashad, I've said this time and again. Sometimes I clown BK. Look, BKFC is fun because they don't hide from who they are, right? <laughs> it is yeah. what it is. They have an opening where if you're like, if you're just grimy as shit and you can talk on the Mike Pro Wrestling style, you can become a star there. But if you are a still elite, somewhat elite MMA or, or boxer, you do have to think twice about chasing the money because not just you could get carved up stylistically, it's not the best use of your talents, to be fair. Like, yeah. Rashad, here's the deal. I'm a keyboard warrior, 44-year-old dad with a bad liver. You're a you know world-class athlete, former champion who's still got it. If you and I were to sign to fight for big-time money in any discipline, judo, wrestling, boxing, fight, you're going to win, okay? But what if I challenged you to a fight in a men's bathroom stall, <laughs> right. naked, yeah, <laughs> with the lights off, I don't know, Rashad, if you're coming right. out of there with your hand raised because I'm grimy as shit, Rashad, okay? They're not, I may have to do things I'm not proud of to win that fight. You you fight Mike Perry in a bare-knuckle circle? Dude, he's going to find a way to win the fight, right? Yeah, absolutely. That That is such a great analogy, and it's so true because you've you seen Mike Perry just kind of settle into the grime of the fight. And when he started selling in the grime of the fight, you seen the exact opposite in MVP and his body language where he was just like, holy hell, what did I get myself into? You can almost see the look in his eyes of him saying, dude, this is not what I thought it was gonna be. And uh, once all that pretty, all that pretty shit wasn't working, Oh, man, he was realizing that maybe I should have stuck to MMA. <laughs> well, I think he thought if I could just line him up as he's coming forward with a right hand, it'll be over. Um, he did line him up with that, and it wasn't over. So that's no. that, That's how you had it. That's what happened there. Uh, quickly, before we go to the end of the show, uh, Mike Perry wants a rematch. MVP said yes, but he hedged it after saying more people have to say yes than just me. And I think that means the terms of his Bellator deal could you see a scenario where Mike Perry gets offered decent money to rematch this in Bellator? Yeah, I mean, well, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, I don't know uh, how much Bellator wants to ride off the coattails of what Bare Knuckle Boxing did. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah, that's a fair point, Rashad. That's a fair point. It is the last stop on the combat sports uh, journey uh, unless they offer you a lot of money and you take it. And I do caution people of taking that because shit can go down here. Uh, let's keep the show rolling. we got two more segments for you. Uh, every Sunday night on the Instagram account of At Morning Combat, we put out the DMs for Donks questionnaire. You respond to it. You have a chance of getting your voice heard on this show. Here it is. We got some mail here. It's DMs from Donks. <laughs> Hee-haw. He friggin' Ha. Uh, uh, All right, we've got male <laughs> viewers. Let's see what they have to say. Here we go. Will you post it? There it is. At Paypool, does Leon's KO surpass Anderson's late triangle versus Chael as the greatest comeback in the history of MMA? Let's start with that question first, Rashad. Does it? Yes. And I say that, and I say that because of just the devastating nature of it. I mean, like with the Anderson Silva, you know, you kind of seen that he was kind of setting it up and it can potentially happen. But with the way the head kick happened, no one's seen that coming. No one even seen that even Leon even had that much gas in the tank to even land with that much power. And the fact that he did that, you could hear like a pin drop. It was just like so, like everybody, mouth was on the floor. My heart was, 
you know, in my stomach and I was, I was ready to throw up, man. But yeah, I, I think so. I actually think it might surpass that as the greatest, most shocking one. I mean, the Anderson one was hella shocking and he had a broken rib and Chael was on the stuff and he was putting it on him. But when Chael got caught in that, you're like, that was a way to win. Like I could see that happening as surprising as it was. This, this was wild. Uh, there was a second half to that question. Could you flash it quickly? If we still have uh, at Patty Bear's question, Long Island Luke, you with me here? At Pay at Payul, sorry. Uh, similarly, which was the bigger shock, Leon's win or Bizping's uh, knocking out Rockhold? Oh, it, it was Leon's win because look, yeah. Rock, Usman was the was the pound for pound king, you know, undefeated yeah. in the cage. That's it. That's it right there. Let's keep it going. Our next DM. Are you there, listener? From at Telvin Kipapa, Hawaii's own. We love this guy. With Leon's win over Usman and if Sterling beats TJ Dillashaw, do you think there's a possibility of UFC Jamaica? And he closes with Yaman. That would be very cool. UFC Jamaica, that would be amazing. Uh, I don't know. I mean, it, it would really take both of those guys, you know, to really become more of a fan favorite, especially Leon. Yeah. If Leon fights Usman again and he, he wins and, you know, he's able to then you know, go and beat somebody else, then I can see them doing a UFC in Jamaica. And to quote the movie Half-Baked, uh, what part of Jamaica should they put the octagon in? Right near the beach. Right near the beach. Boy, uh, we got any more of these tricky DMs here? From at G Glow Gloose, Glow Loose. I don't, I mean, I don't know who these people are, Rashad. This could be some, yeah. Uh, BC, where did you get the energy for this Pound for pound type weekend you had. Love the solo show, but I love the instant reactions to AJ and UFC 278. On top of having to be on the broadcast with Keith Thurman, BDE. Yes, it was BDE indeed. It was fueled by caffeine and uh, my great team around me. But that's uh, with Luke on vacation. Uh, that's a day for the ages in terms of the load. I also write in recaps and stories. But uh, Rashad, we got the job done at the end of the day. I won't sit here and say I was as good as I could be in each of those streams. You can pat yourself on the back. You can pat yourself on the okay. back, BC. Then you I'll, did you know, your thing. <laughs> I'm not hesitating to do that there. But, you know, the thing about BC that I think my staff knows is, you know, you turn that red light on, Rashad, it doesn't matter what condition sure I'm in, okay? All right? It's like it's like a horny teen in the red light district of Amsterdam, right? Glassy eyed, I'm gonna find that red light and I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna bang. All right, uh, there you go. Uh, anything else for the DMs? At love to fight underscore fourteen seventeen. Wow, that's great. Grady threw that underscore in. Is Utah going to always produce quote boring fights because of the high elevation? Seems like every fighter gassed out after round two. Uh, well, I don't know about boring fights, Rashad. It was pretty. You know, I, I was it, for me watching it live. It, it was not boring. It was a pretty exciting card. And I mean, this is coming from me a couple weeks ago watching one of the most exciting cars, 10, fight, 10 fights and 10 finishes at the UFC Apex. So I felt like this was a pretty entertaining, entertaining night. I don't feel like I, any of the fights I was I was really bored at. I mean, it, the, the Utah crowd, they got kind of spoiled early because there was a few finishes early. And like if they the action stopped for one minute, they were already booing. So those Fairweather fans. I get it. I get it right there. Uh, I think that's it for DMs. Thank you to the folks. We got any more? No? One more. From at Ilya745, does Anthony Joshua own the worst post-fight reaction of all time in combat sports after a loss? Uh, it was really bad, Rashad. If he had just walked out and not done an interview, we would have respected it more. But would you say this was worse than Forrest Griffin 
and Tito Ortiz and the commandeering the mic. Uh, our team is offering, Gaff is offering Ally Aquinta's, uh, you know oh, you're gonna pull me? Ally Aquinta, but Al's more real, but you know what? I feel like um, with Anthony Johnson, I, jo Joshua, I think it was definitely, it, it, it was definitely the worst. I mean, just, uh, just raw emotion. He just he just spoke out of raw emotion and, and pure frustration. And, yeah. uh, you know, it, it happens sometimes. It does. I, I don't know what Ariel's doing tweeting out. Great to see AJ being so real. He put Usyk over. I mean, come on, Ariel. What are you doing, dude? What, Bro, what are you doing? All right? All right? There's not, none of that is true. None of that at all. All right. Those are the DMs from our donks. Thank you very much. Don't forget, Wednesdays and Fridays, you can also let your voice be heard. Morningcombat at gmail.com for your fan subs. I'm sure we've got a backlog of those with Luke out and your dead wrongs uh you know i'm sure they've got a long list coming at me but rashad we close this monday with what we always do it's your boy bc scouring the globe for the good the bad the ugly the highs the lows the in between from combat sports and beyond get ready i got a load of shit here have you actually seen it we're about to find out ow ow uh, Rashad, UFC 278 in Salt Lake City. Look at Leon Edwards. I didn't realize this in real time. Doing the Billy Strut, Vince McMahon uh, and Conor McGregor style. That's a badass way to walk off a win there. That's a badass way to walk off a win, but it made me just want to jump his ass. It made me just want to <laughs> jump Leon Edwards. I couldn't stand him at that moment. I couldn't, I couldn't stand him at that moment when he walked off like that, man. Yeah. It just bothered the hell out of me, but... Well, Big ups to him, man. So the winner go the spoils. Here's Rocky in the post-fight meal getting a little pizza dance on. He 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 earned this one, Rashad, okay? Yeah, he definitely earned it. Look at that. Look at that pizza. Look at oh, he about yeah. to choke on that pizza. Look at his ass, man. No hey. such thing as bad sex or pizza in life, although I'm sure pizza in the UK has got to be just gross. I mean, that's that looks like realize. That looks like cold pizza, too. It don't oh, even look sure like it's it even warm. <laughs> like, Rashad, I grew up in, I didn't realize I grew up in Connecticut, you know, outside of New Haven, outside of New York City, and just the pizza hotbed of this earth outside of maybe Italy. I don't know. I don't, you know, I'm, I'm ignorant, but... I mean, Florida ain't got good pizza. You already know that, Rashad. <laughs> I, I will not debate you there. Thank you very much. All right, uh, let's hear the sound. This is the best shit of the weekend. It's Leon Edwards calling his mom immediately after pulling the upset. I told you. I told you, Mom. I told you. I told you, Mom. I, that's that's just great. That's just that's that that now right there. That's a beautiful, beautiful moment. No matter if you're behind Leon or not, that moment right there it, it speaks to the heart of anybody who's ever tried anything. You know what I'm saying? It really does speak to your heart, man. That's that. See, that was a great moment. Rashad, you've long done a great impression of Rashad's mom. What was her reaction when you won the championship? Rashad, Rashad, you did it, Rashad, I'm so proud of you, Rashad, Rashad, you did good, Rashad, you did real good, you listened to Joe Rogan, Rashad. <laughs> go back to the hospital and tell them to fuck off, because you're the full-time <laughs> fighter now, all right, there you go. Um, in exchange, in an in, in, in insane exchange between Bantamweight's Jay Perrin and Aori Kai Ling, did I butcher that? Uh, all I know is they're butchering each other. You see this finish to this undercard fight? Jeez. Oh, my gosh. That fight was a rock'em, sock'em robot, and it was like one of my first fights that I walked in and seen the other night, and it kind of set the tone. I mean, it was just 
amazing. And you just thought somebody was going to just hit the ground. But these dudes were just throwing like it was nobody's business. Throwing leather. Uh, they made our show. Shout out to these guys. You know who else made the show? Luke Rockhold. I got a lot of Luke Rockhold videos. He had a big week. Here we go, Rashad. The stare down at the ceremonial weigh-in. And look at the phoner. Or this was after oh, the press conference. Oh, no. Is he, is he looking at the... Oh, you know what? You know what's so funny? You know what's so funny about this? <laughs> I mean, I, I mean, Polo is rock hard with emotion. You know, I, I, I had, I had, I had uh, Bruce Buffer come to me and say, Hey, Rashad, have you seen the Wayans? I'm like, yeah. <laughs> you see Paulo Costa? I'm like, no, nah, I didn't see him. Oh, you didn't see it? And then he showed me this picture. And I, I, had, no, I had no idea. I had no idea, but that's, that's wow. funny, man. That's yeah. He, it looks like eggplant is in season in Salt Lake. Even Luke Rockhold's like, damn, bro. Damn, I mean, what if? Right? I mean, what if he just hung like that, though? You know what I'm saying? What I if mean, he just look? We've seen Conor McGregor at the Mayweather weigh-in. Sometimes you get so jacked up to fight Rashad that you know it's. I mean, I I don't I don't I've, I've had morning wood, but I you know I don't do this before fights, Rashad. You know. But I mean, hey, maybe it's not a wood though. That's what I'm saying. Maybe it's not a oh, wood. Maybe maybe, maybe he's just blessed. Maybe he's just blessed. You know. You what I'm only saying? get this kind of analysis on morning combat, uh, Rashad. Here's the the video that everybody's talking about the the Fight Club scene in real life. Luke Rockhold after dramatically reversing position, just grimy rubbing that blood in the eyes. Of Paulo, good and Costa smiling. Look at this. Yeah, that that was that was a uh, that was a moment them two actually made up. You know what I'm saying? Like they're gonna act like they hate each other, but that's that these these two they're they're gonna end up liking each other one day. You know what I'm saying? Like, and I feel Fucking like maybe fighting. I mean, this is that I don't. That's I've that's never... what I'm saying. Like <laughs> uh, afterwards, Costa would say it was disgusting, and he took a long shower, but. Nah, hey, he he know, was he was licking that blood. It, this it fight very, culture's the worst. I mean, it, what are we doing here? It, uh, yeah. Here's my actual favorite moment of the fight. It was when Rockhold in the third round looked like he was on the verge of being stopped, yet twice screamed "fuck you" to the face of Costa, and from the depths of hell uncorked a left hand that I think would have knocked most people out. Rashad, if these two weren't cyborgs, what a moment, dude! What a moment! What a moment to just say, you know what? Fuck it all, man! And and that's and that's the that's what it's about. You know what I'm saying? And when he did that, I'm just like, hell yeah, Luke! You didn't you didn't win the fight, but you you definitely you definitely made an impression with Evan War. He didn't win the fight, but he took a victory tour afterwards. Here's his longtime teammate Daniel Cormier running from the announce desk to catch Rockhold on his way out of the arena. Look, this is this is two men. Just embracing, and there were a few of these videos with with Cheeto, with everyone else. It, it's emotional, Rashad. Oh, what a moment! What a it, moment. It, it's very, it's very emotional. I mean, th those two have been close, you know, since DC got into the UFC, and uh, I, I know it has to be hard for DC to speak and and, and, and analyze and you know and give his take when his boys fighting because your heart's in yeah. your chest. But uh, that, that that's a good moment, and and, and Luke earned the respect of everybody that uh, Saturday. No doubt. We go back to PFL 9 in London. I mentioned featherweight Bubba Jenkins, who advanced to the championship, took Ryoji Kudo to Suplex City twice. Look at this. Dude. Oh, my gosh. He got air miles on that one. Whew. Quickly took the back after the second toss. Gets the rear naked choke. But uh, oh, yet Randy, you did have Randy Couture mentioning, uh, Rashad, that even though this looks great, the amount of energy exerted may not equal the amount of damage given. Do you agree with that? 
I, I 100% agree. You know, in those situations, many times the juice is not worth the squeeze. Okay, there you go. Uh, let's go to La Larissa Pacheco, as I mentioned, who also punched her ticket by punching. Uh, here's the finish she did. I mean, look, she touches people, they go down. This, this is what happens, you know? Wow. Damn. That's power right there. Yeah. That's that's a lot of power. And it's good to see it from a woman like that. Just, I mean, that's that's, that's something rare that you really don't see, but that's very impressive. Ooh, Kayla's like, I got to take the headset off now. And she yeah, had... yeah, she got Sarah. She felt she felt that stomach, that feeling inside your stomach when somebody, something happens like that. that that's and, good. That's good. She's taking notice. And Larissa's got them, them throat tats, too. I mean, she's aggressive. She's going after it. Uh, we're going to throw the sound here of Kayla Harrison's post-fight promo in which she specifically called out a trio of Brazilian sluggers. Kayla Harrison, she was just imploring the crowd, asking, is it too much to ask for a USA chant? Are you going to get this crowd to do a USA chant? Hey, what's up, everybody? London! You guys know a couple of things about queens, right? You got a queen over here? Yeah? Listen, I'm here to tell you that I am the queen, not of PFL, not of the 155 pound division. I am the queen of women's MMA. And if those three Brazilians will take off their track shoes and meet me, then you'd find out. A lot said that, look, one Brazilian. I mean, Rashad. <laughs> It's nice, but I don't think those three Brazilians are running from her necessarily. Pacheco's going to fight her next. I mean, Cyborg is, you got you to gotta put the, the, the money out there and sign the contract, right? Hey, listen, it's not about what's real. It's about what people perceive as real. You can say yeah. anything is real. You know, I learned it from yeah. Chael. Chael just say anything sometimes, you know what I'm saying? And sometimes, like, yeah, I, I, was, I was making it up. So, I mean, but... They don't know, you know what I'm saying? People don't know unless they look into it. So as far as the world is concerned, there's three people running from her. <laughs> all right, well, she would go on to call them all out. It's Pacheco, it's Nunes, it's Cyborg. For her sake, I hope sooner than later she can get a huge fight, but she's got to get past Larissa first. We'll find that out. Um, I do like Kayla's turn into the pro wrestling demeanor the last two seasons, probably Dan Lambert fueled, but uh, it's, 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 it's getting her attention, it's working. She just became the self-appointed queen of MMA there in London. Uh, let's go over to uh, Mike Bone of MMA Junkie caught up with this UFC super fan wearing the Joe Rogan collage shirt in Salt Lake City. Rashad, can we get you outfitted in this? Oh my gosh, look at that. Look at that. That's a lot of Joe Rogan right there. Yeah, that's wow. That's that's a little, yeah, there's a lot of bald <laughs> head there. <laughs> Indeed. Uh, that's a fashion statement. Uh, real recognizing real this weekend in the parking garage as Jamal Hill. Maybe the UFC's finest basketball player running into the hitman Thomas Hearns. You know I pop for this type of cross-world respect, Rashad. Oh, yeah, the two Michigan natives. That's that's cool, man. That's real cool. I've, I've ran into hitman a couple of times. But, I mean, Jamal Hill, I mean, you know, he, he's turned into that guy, and now everybody's starting to take notice. Indeed. Uh, let's have some fun, rough and rowdy style. R&R &R 18 from West Virginia, Barstool putting on their – the recurring scene of fat guys falling over the ropes. Look at this, Rashad. <laughs> Sloppiness. <laughs> yeah. Sloppy soup. You know, they like them extra sloppy. sloppy. Yes. Oh, God, look at that. Look at Big Cat there. He, or no, that's yeah, uh, it looks like some ass juice is sweat coming out. <laughs> just, just messy, just sloppy. Just gross. Uh, we also had a vicious knockdown here. Check out this white guy diving into it. 
It always looks fake. It's so sloppy. You know, it always looks a little bit fake. But here we go. Oh. Oh, boy. Oh. Oh, oh my gosh! Just, but how did he get up like that? Look at—he was like he was stiff all the way down and like bounced right back up. That's unbelievable. I think he used his face to check the punch. Like, like it was a kick, you know? Just, yeah, it's great. Wow. I mean, they know their demographic. They go right to West Virginia for these cards, Rashad. They know what they're doing there. Uh, BKFC in London. Here's an undercard uh, moment for you. Franco Tenaglia with the sick counter left hand. Oh, oh yeah. wow. Wow. That was nasty left hand. Ooh. Uh, that was it. That counter that, that was guy. It. That's that the one here to quitter right there. Yeah, he's looking for a way out now. Wow. Boy, he's looking for everything. He's looking uh, for who he is. Rashad, we probably should have knew who was going to win this Mike Perry MVP fight by this interview that, that uh, Perry gave during fight week. Uh, here we go. <laughs> I mean, I try to keep it real. You know, I remember my dad used to say he a thousand and oh in the street. And I, I give anybody the benefit of the doubt. Anybody can win at any given time. A lot of these guys, you know, if I'm not looking, I'm at the bar and you hit me in my face. I see a lot of videos of old men taking out young dudes and people talk shit about me because that old man came at me and I swatted his ass. I swatted a few people in these streets. These hands is bisexual, motherfucker. They everything. Anybody can get it. Any gender. Anybody can get this shit at any given time because I don't trust nobody. Anybody get too close to me, it's going down like that. But, you know, I mean. Oh, Rashad, while I won't advocate hitting women, although he said anybody can get it, um, his hands are very progressive. You know, you got to give him that, you know? Wow. He's, he's got equal opportunist hands. That's that's That's... That's one hell of a statement, but Mike Perry is so hood. I love yeah. it, man. He's yeah. he's so hood. It's just in him. It's he's in him. Too, he once said he's two percent African American, Rashad, which would allow well, him to. I, use I the think I think I like he, he may have got raised by a black family, you know, like a boy. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like know? the movie The Jerk with Steve Martin. Yeah, he didn't. Yeah, he got raised by a black right. family or something, man. Something, some, something's got to explain this. Something has to explain. Uh, this shout behavior. out to the the Mac uh, Mac Life for that clip. That was Perry before the fight. He's here's Perry afterwards. Look at this still shot. So you want to be a bare knuckle fighter? Good oh, God! Oh wow! Look at that face. Look at, Look that, at face. that face. You know what? Well, Perry yeah. got the win in OT, so who'd he call out? Let's hear it. Jake Paul, you need an opponent. You need the money fight. I'm the real money fight. And maybe I'll put the pillows back on if you're scared to get in here. Uh, Rashad, is this a uh, money opportunity here for Jake Paul that he should take or what? Jake Paul should definitely not do no shit like that. <laughs> hey, listen, listen. Sometimes people are just too rough. Okay, like, look, it, it ain't worth it, Jake. Don't, don't go. It ain't, it ain't worth it. It ain't worth it. Don't do it. No, Perry is that dude. He found his home here in BKFC, and here is his post-fight celebration dance backstage. Look, he earned it. Okay, you can criticize his moves all you want. He earned it. Look at this. Yes. Look at that. He got that. Look at him. That's the, the daddy right the there. The money dance. The money dance right there. Yep. Coach Latore was in the ring afterwards. Yeah, he he, he, had a, he had a weekend at Bernie's and everything, too. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, speaking of Jake Paul, he made the rounds in South Florida. Your territory went down to Marlins Stadium. Here's Jake Paul taking batting practice. Rashad, your thoughts on his technique? Yeah. Now, there's strike I mean, one. 
And uh, there's oh, oh okay, got around okay, on that, that one. What you get that one? <laughs> it, it, seemed, it seemed like he's not swinging all the way though. It seemed like his yeah, he's his, doing like a like a two strike contact hit. Yeah, kind of he's kind of like he's not really putting his hips into it. There you yeah, go. You gotta go. Yeah, the hips don't lie, Jake. You gotta go all in. Um, NFL preseason Rashad always gives us good moments like fan fights, but check out this Denver Broncos fan who yelled out a warrior cry and then. Oh, oh. My god. oh my god! Oh my god! Oh my god! I would have, di- I would have is... died. I, I would have died. I, Let me... I had a fan. I had a friend actually throw up on me after he took a shot, and it was something like that. I, I wanted to kill his ass, but that's unacceptable. <laughs> um, obviously, that's not the Denver Broncos. That's a different Broncos team. I butchered that one. So dead wrong me in the moment, but that guy just dead wronged himself. You gotta love that. Wow. Uh, hey, Rashad, how about some phallic hot dog love? Right, that fits the segment. Hot dog. You know, some people say oh, a real man. man. Oh my God! Some oh man, that's you got to break it before you bite it. But this guy going all in, Rashad, Boy, just going you, for you, it. You got to be careful with the glizzy sticks. You don't want to have a glizzy that big in your mouth. <laughs> well, <laughs> he was aggressive and he went after it. But if you're gonna go all in, you might as well go all in. Let's see this next fella. Wow! Oh, wow! Wow! Is that a wow? That a, I mean, wow! Is that a party wow, trick? That's that's, uh, that's impressive. That's what yeah. <laughs> you know, I got a long history with hot dogs. I've never tried that move though. Let's see. Okay, uh, Rashad, find a you're a happily married man. Find a woman who loves you as much as this lady in the Walmart parking lot does. Look at this show of affection of PDA. Oh, oh my god! <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh! What? She smells like love, Rashad. Smells like love. Wow! 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 Oh my gosh! Crack hills where I come from, but not. Oh, see, that's why you can't be shaking everybody's hands. You know what I'm saying? (laughs) (laughs) The fist bump. (laughs) All right. uh, A happy birthday is out to a uh, a great pair of Polish twins. How about Joanna Champion and her twin sister Kasia? Celebrating 35 on the IG this week. Let's let that four go. Wait, Let's wait, bring wait. in the five. Yuana has a, a twin sister? I know. I only found this out last year, Rashad. Oh, right? my mind is blown. Yeah. Oh. If Luke was here, we wouldn't be able to celebrate this. But, you know, enjoy retirement, Yoana. You earned it, all right? Then shout out to her sister as well. Uh, Usyk Joshua 2 from Saudi. The co-main event, Callum Smith is back. Look at this left hook in round four sending Matthew Baderlinke to uh, the bottom floor. Oh, oh, wow. Wow. He just deleted his access. He did. He did. He did. All right. Uh, let's go over to Anthony Joshua having a full-on meltdown, as I mentioned. Here's a little snippet of it, if you missed it. A little snippet. He drops the belts. He oh, says yeah. a lot of shit on the mic. Look at Usyk looking at him like, yeah, come on, bro. Come on. Come on. Yeah, there we go. There we oh, go. Oh, see, see, at that moment, Usyk had a look in his eyes like, am I about to fight this dude for real? Like, he- Yeah. <laughs> he, he lost his shit. There's no doubt. Uh, we mentioned, does Tyson Fury have interest? Well, he put out a video immediately after the fight. Let's hear from the big gypsy himself. Be in, hey, the, in Tyson, retirement. Back in ring, please. Back in ring. <laughs> we, we all heard. Uh, that is first uh, Alexander Usyk's. 
uh, his backstage message for Tyson Fury. I was in the wrong order. Yes, please get back in the ring. Uh, you know, Usyk also has a great catchphrase, and they caught him in the Saudi Arabia airport on the way out of Jeddah, asking him how he feels. Let's hear it. Champ, champ, how do you feel? I feel, I very feel. <laughs> champ. Uh, Rashad, the champ is very feel, which is on brand for him. And over hey, to Tyson. <laughs> he always looks so surprised, though. He always looked like he just, like he's just like I don't know how to make my eyes do that, but he always looked like he's. Just... Oh, dude, he's a he's a comedian. I mean, he's a joker. This guy's the best. Seriously, get to know him on Instagram. Here is Tyson Fury. I think he was liquored up, but here's his reaction to the fight. After watching that, the both of them were shite. It was one of the worstest heavyweight title fights I have ever seen. It was bullshit. Come on! Shite. I really, both of them. He was absolutely shite. Fucking shite. <laughs> you gotta love you some Tyson Fury. Uh, we're gonna close out here with a couple more. Uh, shout out to these truckers, the real soldiers out there on 18 wheels, keeping our country safe, strong, and well-supplied. But sometimes, Rashad, you know, you flip a trucker off, you better be ready to throw hands. Look at this. Oh, my gosh. Let the action begin. Look at these guys. Oh, oh man. Uh-oh. Look at that orange crush going after Look at him. Look that. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Buddy, get off your feet. Yep. Oh, wow. That wow. guy got his hands today. Yes. Oh, my gosh. Love I love it. it. <laughs> uh, Rashad, we, no, no, um, no elder abuse today, but we do have young kids getting hurt. Uh, where's the parental control on this? Please. This went from happy to sad in a quick second. Oh! <laughs> he, you know that hurt because he's doing I Gotta Pee dance. He, dude, I, oh my Play God. stupid games, get stupid prizes. Yeah, exactly. There you go. Poor little guy, man. And finally, here's your knockout of the week, Muay Thai style. Oh my oh gosh, my what? God. Wow. Through you know, that kind of looks like how Leon set that kick up, right? Yeah. Wow. Wow. Wow, he looked yeah. like he is dead for real. Wow. Yeah, good news is they revived him, and I think he was the the uh, Uber driver that brought everybody home. So shout out to that guy. That's the end of the shit for the week. Rashad, we we did over two hours. What a time! Oh to my be gosh, time went by fast. Uh, we can follow Morning Combat and Sugar Rashad Evans at these fine handles below. If you like what you hear on this show, subscribe, like the video. Uh, Rashad, where can we see you? You got uh, a tight 10 coming up at the Comedy Store anytime soon? No, I do not. But you can check me out on Instagram. I'll be on there posting more stuff. But uh, everybody, thank you. I appreciate you. Rashad, you once talked about a, a colon cleanse you were into. I'm thinking about getting the MK Doc cameras and just releasing all that shit that's caught up inside of me. You think it could really make a change in my life? Hey, BC, you do a colon cleanse, you're going to feel like a new man. Oh, you're going to feel like a new man. <laughs> You're going to have a new muffler. You're going to have a new muffler. You're going to sound better. When you fart all of that, man, it's just going to be way better, yeah. man. After years of swallowing hot dogs whole, Rashad, it's time. It might be time. <laughs> Too many glizzy sticks. Too many glizzy sticks for BC. Uh, shout out to our great team. Showtime, you can get 30 days free right now. The, the great Bellator unboxing and so much more. Showtime.com. Enjoy that. Get our merch. We want you wearing this around town. Morningcombat.store. Representing right there. Shout out to uh, Phil McKagan, our good buddy from South. You know Phil. You know Coach Phil? 
I do know Phil. I do know Phil. Okay, that's, my that's, guy. that's our guy. Associate head coach of University of Colorado football. He said he just got his new MK shipment in. Love that guy right there. And love the fans out there. Thank you. Luke Thomas back this week. Rashad, it's been great running up and down the road with you. BC, is always a pleasure, man. Love the energy. Love the comedy. Love it Thank all together, you. man. As you can see on the lower third, a final reminder, if you love us, help us win an award. How about you go to worldmmaawards.com slash nominees or scan the QR code below. For the second straight year, we are up against Rogan, Helwani, all the big hitters, Dana White. But we find a way, Rashad. We find a freaking way. Uh, that's the show for this week. We love you all. Thank you so much. Two words on the way out. We out. Enjoy. We Thank out. you. Peace.